Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media, at MMALOTN, joined by my guy, Cody Slavtick, fresh off his first uh, showing as a matchmaker for the new promotion that he's working for. You guys can follow him at CJ Slavtick on Twitter, and we are here propping you up for UFC 276, headlined by two title fights. We got the Aussies, or New Zealanders, we're at Oceania champions defending their titles here. We got Adesanya in the main event taking on Jared Cannonier. And then on the flip side, we got the third fight between Alexander uh, Volkanovski and Max Holloway. Very interesting fight there. Very close to first fights that they had. Interested to see how this third one pans out. Not to mention Sugar Sean finally gets a ranked opponent that he can go up against and probably stylistically the best ranked opponent that he can get across from him. We'll obviously talk about that later on in the podcast here. But a bunch of other great fights sprinkled throughout. Always love chopping it up with my guy, Cody. Cody, how are you doing, my brother? You look, you're looking a little rough over there. I don't know if you, you, you've been dodging your barber or something or what? What's going on, my man? Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, I don't know. I'm getting married in August, so I was like, I'm just hey. going to let my... I know, once you get married, it's all downhill for you in terms of fun and adventure. So I was like, I'm just going to let my hair go and last time, and then, yeah, going to get a nice cut for the wedding. So probably let it go sometime till August. Take my last run. My last Dude, run I, I can't in. wait to see how... Like, you got to let the beard go. You know I mean, you got to just let it grow out until August so you have like a clean slate when you do go to your barber to be like hey you know line me up make me look you know like uh what do yeah. they call it giga chat or whatever it is give me that like solid beard are, are you is that the plan is it just to let the beard keep going or are you going to trim it throughout i mean i'd like to just go with a full-on aaron jeffrey look but yeah. i'm not as good looking as aaron jeffrey so give yourself I... some credit my dog <laughs> yeah, he's the man dude i'm glad to see he's picking up some big victories too yeah. that was a good one so anyways life's been good we got through the show uh show went according to plan i mean there's some fun fights got some good buzz the company was happy with it so that was all well and good and then yeah just got like a million things going on but pff, always have time for a ufc card always have time to chop it up with you tops and props and this is a nice looking card i mean generally we talk about fight nights and sometimes you even have to argue with people about like this is a good fight night like taruki and gamrot's a good fight i assure you which if it was but whatever was, that's yeah. uh, another argument for another time this is the kind of thing that a casual can get on like i know my boy robbie lawler has been done right he's on the main card now but just goes to show you how loaded it is that even a casual fan is going to recognize a lot of these guys that are that are featured on the prelims, right? So, I mean, uh, nice looking offering, and the only thing that can make it better is if we can find a couple trustworthy spots. Because straight up, my confidence was shook. You know, a guy like Cody yeah. Law goes and loses Ooh, that to Bellator. Yeah. That PFL card was an absolute trash can. Of, like, just woof. I don't know if these guys are taking dives or what. Like, not in the Amelia sorties of the world, but uh, yeah, some rough business over there. So. Faith in humanity restored. Action man got the job done. So we just need to zone in on like the faithful action man types and go with that moving forward. And thankfully, I think there's a couple decent looking favorites on this card. Absolutely. All right. Before we get into the card, let's give quick shout outs, obviously, to the All Star for hosting us as they always do on a weekly basis. Make sure you guys hit them with a like and subscribe below to let them know that you guys enjoy the content that we bring you guys on a weekly basis, like I said. Secondly, shout out to betonline.ag, one of the best bookies out there for MMA, regional MMA, UFC, all that stuff. They got you covered. Not to mention, they're usually the first guys on the block what the odds for you. So make sure you guys go check out betonline.ag. They'll match your initial deposit up to $1,000, 50% of it, I should say, up to $1,000. Uh, link is in the description below. And then secondly, shout out to CloudBet, 
the bookie that is working closely with us in terms of giving props to you guys. And that's exactly what we're quickly going to go over from uh, UFC Vegas 57 here. We'll quickly go over the uh, event props that me and Cody talked about at the ending of the last episode. So let me just bring that up over here. So uh, the hype train wins. Uh, that was the first prop that we had for you guys. Only two of them won, and that's Sarukian, Rachmanov, and Nurmagomedov. Only two of them won. Obviously, Sarukian shit in the bed in the main event. Plus 129 is what you would have gotten if you picked two of them, which was much better than parlaying Nurmagomedov and Rachmanov straight up. So shout out to Cloudbet for giving you guys another way to uh, parlay some of these big favorites and getting better lines. Total Sarukian takedowns under three and a half caches as he only hits one. So shout out to Gamera for that great uh, takedown defense there. Uh, secondly, we had total rounds completed. Ended up cashing on the under 23 and a half at plus 110. Uh, there was 22 completed rounds. Now, before I go on to the total submission and total KOs, I got a quick clip that I want to bring up from uh, last week that uh, just showcases Mystic Cody. I got Rockman off for the knockout. I've got potentially Umar Nurmagomedov unless he snags him with the submission after that. But Chris Curtis with the knockout. Yeah, uh, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe about three, three knockouts. Half is minus one twenty. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's going to be three knockouts and three submissions. So you would hit the under <laughs> on the knockouts and the over on submissions. There you go. Get the hook on both of them there. And he called it to a T. It wasn't the exact fighters that he said. Yeah. But there was three submissions. So the over two and a half hits there at minus 125. And then there's three knockouts. So the under three and a half hits there at minus 120. What do you think about your handiwork there, Cody? Yeah, good stuff. Unfortunately, the action man didn't get that knockout at <laughs> minus 120. But uh, the money line is actually better at minus 115. So <laughs> we played it that way. Unfortunately, this is the prop show. What can you do? It, it looked like that body work was going to add up, but yeah. he couldn't let his hands go because he knew he was just going to have to defend takedowns the whole time. Say la vie, stylistical clash. Not to mention, minus 700 for that fight doesn't go to decision, and it goes to decision. So it's, it was just one of those nights for sure. Uh, who will record the fastest finish on the main card? It was Tiago Moises. That cash is for plus 800. He gets the quick submission victory over Christos Yagos. Let's move on to the last couple here that we had. Fight of the Night Award uh, was to Armand Sarukin and Mateus Gamrot, plus 1,000 that cashes. And then fastest finish on the entire card, Cody Durden at a minute and eight seconds, cashes at plus 1,600. He lets his handiwork do the talking, and he gets J.P. Bays out of there. Right behind him was Carlos Olberg. He was seven seconds after Cody Durden, and if he had cashed, that would have been plus 1,900. But shout out to anybody that took Cody Durden to get the quickest finish because J.P. Bays, man. Oh, man. Bummed. Uh, lesson learned, but still, shouldn't have put myself in that position. No chin. No chin Bays. Yeah, it, it, it did not look good. Dare I say... Way. Don't you, do it, Cody. Now. Don't you do it, Cody. Don't you do it, Cody. All right, we can go into the fights this week. All right, let's move on to this week. So we got a, a stacked card for you guys. Obviously, it's a pay-per-view card. 12 fights. I believe it's a 6 p.m. Uh, prelim start time. So uh, make sure you guys set your alarms for that one. Uh, but let's get this going. First fight of the night. We got two women's MMA bouts kicking off the card. First of which is Jessica Rose Clark coming in at minus 150, taking on Yulia Stoliarenko coming in at plus 130. Now, I, I tried getting the cloud bet guys to put this prop up, but uh, I know there's a couple other websites that allow specific submission props. And you got to believe the favor for Yulia Stoliarenko has got to be the armbar. There's a reason I call her the Lithuania Ronda Rousey because eight out of her nine wins, 
all armbar victories. She snatches up that arm and she tries to take it home with her. And I feel like that's something that's going to be live here against Jessica Rose Clark, who obviously came out on the short end in her last fight uh, to Stephanie Egger. And I believe she lost that fight as well by armbar. So, uh, you know, Jessica Rose Clark has really turned into that jack-of-all-trades type of fighter where she doesn't rely on one thing specifically, but she does like the grappling more than anything. And it feels like if she tries to take that approach here against Yulia Stolyarenko, probably not the way to go, right? Stolyarenko is quite offensive off of her back. She's going to keep Jessica Rose Clark working. And if Rose Clark makes even a, a little mistake, she will end up paying for it, and we will see... Uh, uh, Stoliarenko add another arm to her mantle there over at home in, in, in Lithuania. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here, right? Striking-wise, I think Rose Clark might have the slight advantage, but I think that the the experience and the grit is probably on the Stoliarenko side, right? Just go back and watch that Lisa Versosa fight from Invicta. Good God. Just just Google Versosa and Stoliarenko and just look at the images that come up. It is just a bloodbath of a fight. Most of the damage being dished out by Stoliarenko, just cutting up the face of Versosa and painting the entire canvas red that night. Probably just as red as my shirt, to be honest. But uh, great fight, very violent fight, but that just goes to show what kind of fight, fighter Stoliarenko is. She wants to go out there and try to finish you. She, she wants to get you out of there. Um, and I feel like here against uh, Jessica Rose Clark, Rose Clark might just go back to her habits of trying to grind this fight out, and that's just not going to work out for her. Stoliarenko will likely be the stronger one in those positions. I think she's a judoka as well, if I'm not mistaken, and that will allow her to kind of, you know, it doesn't always work out for the judoka, but I do think in this situation, with her slightly being the bigger woman in this fight, she should be able to get those better positions. And I do think that uh, at a certain point, she'll be able to find that submission. So the spot that I was looking at the most was obviously Stoliarenko by sub. And that was hanging around plus 350 the last time I looked at it. And it's still roughly around there. You can get plus 400 at a certain, at a couple of spots. But uh, I, I, like I, 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 I agree that Rose Clark should be the uh, the favorite here. But I just feel like we're going to get one of those spots where, you know, women's arm bar from guard pretty much is what we're, we're going to be set up for here. How you can't, you know, or sorry, I see, I believe there's more chances of that happening than Rose Clark actually grinding out Stoliarenko here. If you guys even go back and remember that Stoliarenko versus Kunitskaya fight, that was one of those weird fights where you have Kunitskaya wanting to keep the fight in the clinch position up against the cage and just rough her up there. And Stoliarenko is doing everything in her power to try to just fall to her back or pull guard. And Kunitskaya is literally holding her up with her double underhooks just so she doesn't get dragged to the ground and, and having to get into that mess of that uh, BJJ and offensive nature that Stoliarenko has off of her back. So uh, I'll lean Storliarenko here. Um, you know, I, I do think a lot of it is based on her getting the finish. And I do think she'll be end up getting the sub here. Plus 350. I think that's kind of mispriced, man. I think that's a large <clears throat> part of her win condition, as you can truly see from her record. So that should probably be, you know, closer to her money line, maybe like plus 200 or something like that. So the fact that we're getting plus 350, plus 400, that's an auto bet for me, especially against a girl in Rose Clark who, she makes mistakes on the mat, and you can't make mistakes against a girl like Stoliarenko. So give me a Yulia, Yulia by sub plus 350. What about yourself, Cody? Am I not giving Clark enough uh, credit here, or am I on the nose here? Yeah, well, yeah, you're on the nose in terms of it's probably just like a 50-50 women's MMA bout that could go either way. So at least you landed on the plus money side of things. And of course, her by submission makes a lot of sense. And at plus 350, again, you could go a lot, you could go wrong. But uh, I don't think this is the kind of fight you could have a whole lot of confidence in. Like first and foremost, talking about Julia Storlerenko's armbar game, like who exactly has she armbarred? So she used to defeat people on the Lithuanian regional scene that are uh, 0-1, 0-2, 0-0, 0-0, 0-0, 
four and one, but I bet you check out what she's up to these days. <laughs> oh no, a left way match, two and four. She fought that Invicta fight, which was a great fight, but it's a it's a split decision. It was a competitive fight, blood everywhere, but a competitive, hard fought bout. So on one hand, it's like, yeah, she snatched up these arm bars over very limited competition. On the other hand, as far as the UFC goes, she's lost both of her outings. She, uh, sorry, all three of her outings. She's 0-3 with the promotion. And in fact, 1-3 in fight stateside with the one win being a, a split decision. So yeah, it hadn't looked really good. That being said, that Alexis Davis fight, Davis is a legitimate BJJ black belt. She got a deep bite on that arm a couple times. Like, holy... Maybe I'm not giving her enough credit. Now, you mentioned Jesse Jess Rose Clark's slight striking advantage. I don't think so. I think it goes the other way. You look at Stolia Roenko. This is someone that fought in Myanmar. She's fighting Lethway, you know, Burmese bare-knuckle boxing champion. Uh, she she brings it. She's aggressive. She stays in the pocket. She was defeating Julia Avila in the striking exchanges prior to Avila just to sign a grapple. And, of course, she was defeating Alexis Davis throughout the entirety of that second round with the striking prior to uh, Davis, thankfully, falling on top of her in the third and scoring one takedown in the first. So... Her stand-up game, the thing with Rose Clark is I look at her performances, she's not looking to strike. She's looking to grind up against you. And her numbers are very, very low. The Stephanie Egger fight, she had landed two strikes in four minutes before getting caught in the armbar. The fight before that with Jocelyn Edwards, she got outstruck by Jocelyn Edwards like 30 to 18. 18 strikes, landed open 15 minutes, but it's the five takedowns. It's the grinding you up against the cage. Something that judges aren't really scoring all that effective anymore is just holding on to somebody up against the cage. But that's where she's going to thrive. Now, Sterling Lorenko, maybe she's a judoka. Maybe she's not. Her takedown defense, awful. It's really bad. And her ability to get back up, not that good. She'll throw up arm bars, but she's got no get-up game. So the worry here is that Rose Clark is big, strong, physical. Obviously, you've checked out her Instagram. The girl comes in good shape. She takes her strength and conditioning very seriously. If she's able to muscle her up against the cage, which we've seen other people do in the past, if she's able to complete the takedowns and get out of harm's way ASAP, she'll have a lot of success from top. So... This is just an ugly fight. Rose Clark's a pretty girl, but it's an ugly fight otherwise. I can see it being a lot of cage control and grinding, and Jesse Jess gets the job done. I could totally see uh, Sterling Lenko either jumping to guard on the armbar and getting a good bite on it, or creating some distance, keeping her back off the cage and actually outstriking Jesse Jess Rose Clark, who the longer fights uh, get dragged out, the striking battles she's been in, the more damage she gets. Like even, say, the Jessica I fight. First round, she's very competitive. Second round, it's slipping away from her. Third round, she's getting boxed up. The Penny Kianzad fights, you know, she's getting doubled up on the striking numbers. If you can stuff those takedowns, you can box her up. And I think Julia could do that. So I'm actually going to agree with you in terms of underdog money goes. I think this is a live underdog. I've also learned my lesson with betting uh, women's MMA favorites. Just doesn't happen. Oh, it just doesn't happen. So maybe put it near the past category, but officially uh, I I'm, I'm taking what you're taking. I would, I would just take the straight up money line to get the plus money on Sterlarenko. But because this is a prop show, Best looking prop if you want to go for it, submission plus three fifty. Yeah, I did a I just did a quick scan uh, the other day in terms of minus two hundred or higher favorites in women's MMA over the last five events are one in three. The only one being Valentina Shevchenko, which was still you know a, a nail biter in a sense, right? Very very close fight there. But yeah. you know we had our own Canadian Jasmine Jazduvicious fall fall short as a minus two forty favorite. We had Gloria DePaula fall short as a minus two twenty favorite. There's one more that's kind of escaping me at this moment, but that there's been a lot of like these big favorite stars shit in the bed. Well, so. last 
weekend with Vanessa Demopoulos. Yes, this that the problem when you're a former stripper. You, you know what I mean? Yes. The judges are Come more on. inclined to be like, yeah, I like this girl. <laughs> Here's a 10 next to the other girl's nine. Shout out to Jaren Vallel giving her a 30 27. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Jaren Vallel knows what's up. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Another women's MMA bout, like we said. Uh, we got Jessica I taking on Macy Barber. Red alert here. We got minus 285 on Macy Barber, plus 240 on Jessica I. Now, Jessica I is riding a three-fight losing streak, uh, which comes at the hands of Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, that was a main event back in June of 2020. Can't believe it was a main event, but it was a main event nonetheless. Uh, then she falls short at UFC 257 against Juan Calderwood, pretty much getting doubled on significant strikes here, losing that one. Then the Jennifer Maya lost back at UFC 264 in July of 2021. Um... She she outstrikes Jennifer Maya by two strikes. I remember it being a very close fight, but I remember there was a headbutt, I think somewhere in round two, that opened up a cut on Jessica I, and I feel as though that may have, you know, uh, swayed the judges a little bit, thinking that Jennifer Maya was landing the more damaging shots. Uh, you know, I had a bet on Jessica I, so there might be a little bit of bias here, but I did think she won that fight. I went back and looked at the MMA decisions. It seemed like the fans were all over the Jessica I side. Media more so was split down the middle, but... She can keep fights competitive, and I know she has that weird public perception, right, where she does that stupid underdog chant and everybody just gives her shit for that. Like, she just, she just doesn't have a great public perception, which I think in part affects her betting lines that time, right? And I feel like that's that's what's exactly what's happening here. Mix that in with the, uh, you know, hype slash not hype of Macy Barber, right? She kind of fell off of that hype change she had when she came into the UFC, but Picks up that solid win over Montana De La Rosa a couple months ago. And uh, now she's trying to get a solid name in Jessica I under her belt here. I feel as though it's going to come down to the physicality of Macy Barber, which will allow her to kind of squeak away in this fight, similar to what she was able to do against Montana De La Rosa. If the fight's close, she can wrap her up, push her up against the cage, land some good strikes there, and maybe land a takedown or two to try to sway the judges. But should this be a, a 15-minute kickboxing fight? It could be goddamn close, man. Jessica, I can put up some numbers. Macy Barber's really not, you know, blowing you away with crazy output numbers or uh, uh, volume numbers or anything like that. So I think that this fight is just going to be a little bit too close, especially to pay close to minus 300 on Macy Barber, which is why I would rather take the fight goes to decision. That's not minus 250. You're getting a slightly better price on the fight goes to decision than you do on Macy Barber straight up here. And Jessica, I, you know, outside of the... Um, Outside of the Valentina Shevchenko decapitation, she's been quite durable, right? Like it's been very difficult to uh, to get her out of there. She's only getting finished in uh, you know submission grappling tournaments, pretty much. Shevchenko was the last person to finish her in MMA competition, but even before that, yeah, she's never actually been finished outside of the Shevchenko fight. I know Macy Barber had that knack of finishing women earlier in her UFC career, but we know this, Cody. It happens time and time again. As you take uh, steps up in competition, it gets harder and harder to put some of these opponents away, and I think that's what we're going to see here. So I'm expecting a close fight. I'd rather take the fight goes to decision at minus 250 than take Macy Barber, but I am going to take Barber to win. Barber to win by decision. Uh, that's currently sitting at minus 115, so even money roughly there. Um, yeah, give me Barber, but... Good God, that money line is ugly here. What about you? What are you thinking? 
Yeah, I'll go look at Moneyline. If I liked Barber specifically, I think I would try to improve the tag by going with uh, Barber by decision. I agree with all your points. I think I's pretty durable. Uh, I'm more inclined to take the fight goes the distance, which is at minus 260, not a very good price tag at all. But I think that whoever wins the fight probably going to be a drag him out affair. Of course, Jessica I does have the slicker boxing. Uh, maybe she has a little bit more volume. She's a little more seasoned. She's experienced. She's actually taking the fight with a full camp, whereas you've got uh, Macy Barber coming in replacing O'Neal, Casey O'Neal. So... Eh, you know what I mean? Maybe maybe there's some good stuff to go with Jessica I. What I would recommend, though, is 100%. You're going to want to go ahead and wait until the weigh-ins for this one. Jessica I does not make 125 pounds well. She never has. She's coming off a year-long layoff, and she's 35 years old. Every indication that this will be a tough cut. Now, look at her record real quick, right? This is going back. She fights at 135, right? She fights Batch Cohea for the last time. Loses, if you can believe that, but uh, at 135 pounds. Now, Kalinja Feria, 126 on the money. Didn't look good in that fight. Rose Clark, 126 on the money. Caitlin Jukagi, 126 on the money. I thought she lost that one. Fights Valentina Shevchenko. Now you got to make 125. Can't make 126. Championship weight. And makes the weight. Looks terrible. And then gets deaded with the head kick. Not someone known to get knocked out. Of course, it is Valentina Shevchenko and it is a head kick. But one has to wonder if it wasn't the weight cut. Now, this is the last time she picked up any type of victory or submission in submission grappling or MMA was this fight with Viviana Arroyo. Although you'll notice that she came in at 131 pounds for the fight with Viviana Arroyo. That's a full five-pound weight miss. Not good. The very next fight was Cynthia Calvillo, 126.3, which means she missed weight by 0.3, okay? You went from 131 to 126.3. Back-to-back weight misses, not good. Now, she has been able to get her weight back on track since, but the Joanne Calderwood fight, you just see her fall behind on, on the numbers. I thought she had a good cut in the Jennifer Maya fight, put up a good fight. The headbutt definitely led to a lot of it. On a personal note, little bit of bias i had jennifer my i thought jennifer my did win the fight but it was very close very close and you're competitive against a former title challenger that's all well and good but then she pulled out with an andrea lee fight with health issues and then she pulled out of a minofia uh fight with eye issues now she's at a full year off now she's coming back again 35 is is i wouldn't say old for mma but old for 125 pounds can we not agree with that right uh she's got to come back from that year-long absence make the weight come down to 125 or 126 and then take on Macy Barber, who's big, strong, physical, and, and, and going to be looking to push a pace on her. So I would say that Barber eventually breaks on through and is able to either get her to the ground or land, you know, she's got good elbows, good knees, good good, good work in the clinch, dirty boxing, and just push that pace in order to win that decision. So the official pick would be Barber, Barber by decision. But if you don't mind paying like the minus 260s of the world, uh, I think the best value is just take the fight that goes the distance. Even if she blows out her knee, like the Rox- Roxanne Modafferi fight falls on over, she probably still survives. Yeah, Jessica is going to definitely make this fight a lot closer than the odds indicate. Yeah, but I think we can all agree that it's going to go the full fifty minutes. So why take the chalk? Just take something that's a little bit more surefire with this fight going the full 15 minutes all right let us move on to the next fight here big one here at 185 andre munez riding a solid winning streak not just winning streak but first round finishes i believe he has three straight now over uh bartos fazbinski ronaldo jacare souza and eric anders he's taken on uriah hall who last time out fell short against sean strickland in the main event back in july of a uh, of a fight night card now he was uh expected to fight uh, Andre Munez back in April. Hall had to withdraw, and uh, now they're remaking the fight here for uh, UFC 276. In terms of odds, this kind of you know surprised me. Minus 330 for Andre Munez and plus 270 for uh, Uriah Hall. Th- this is one of those spots I feel like we have to kind of pinpoint to be like, hey, like 
the, the public's getting a little bit far too ahead with uh, a guy who's on a bit of a finishing streak, right? The most recent example that I think we have here is Andre Fialo, right? Like he goes out there, has a couple first round knockouts, and all of a sudden he's a, a solid favorite over a, a tested veteran in Jake Matthews, and people expect him to go out there and do the same thing against Matthews. We saw how that turned out. Now I get it. Matthew's a little bit more reliable than Uriah Hall, but Uriah Hall still has what it takes to give a guy like Andre Munez trouble. Uriah Hall never been submitted in his MMA career, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, obviously, he got finished by Gegard Musasi, I believe, which was the last finish that he uh, uh, received. But in, in terms of his grappling defense and submission defense, on point, you know, he he dealt with 10 and a half minutes of control time against ACJ, a much bigger and maybe even more credentialed BJJ specialist than uh, Andre Munez. And he managed to stay safe uh, and, and dish out damage while being controlled. That's ultimately what gave him that fight. I, you know, I, I maybe I hold a little bit of resentment towards Uriah Hall that night because I had some decent money on ACJ that night. I thought I'd be able to take him down, control him, and, and possibly even submit him. But Uriah Hall, very on point, like I said, with the submission defense, uh, defending against a rear naked choke well, not just defending against it, but dishing out damage while he's defending against it. So great work from him there. Uh, but he, he's been known to be the flaky guy, right? That's why people like to bet against him at times. Uh, but he did win that uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. fight. He did knock out Anderson Silva in the fourth round of his main event back in October of 2020. Uh, becomes the first ever guy to win via knockout without throwing a single strike against Chris Weidman back at UFC 261 in April of last year. And then obviously he fell short against Sean Strickland in the main event, like I said. But here, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I remember a lot of people shitting on Andre Munez after that performance against Antonio Hoyo. Like, yeah, he won that fight, but that was a sloppy fight. That wasn't a, you know, a really good showing for either guy there. And I believe he was the underdog in his next fight or two. Um, but I, I, I'm not impressed. True, like, okay, I am impressed from a BJJ aspect with Andre Munez, but what happens if he doesn't get that first round submission? Is he continuously going to get Uriah Hall to the mat? Is he continuously going to be able to threaten with submissions? Or will Uriah Hall start to break through as he normally does later in fights and then find that finish later uh, like he did against Christoph Chotko or against a guy like Bevon Lewis? Like, we can see him do those types of things. So, surprisingly, I'm leaning on the Uriah Hall side, right? We gotta, we really have to take note like i said of these situations where guys are riding finishing streaks and the public's very high on them but at a certain point it's gonna stop i think it's gonna stop this weekend for andre Munez. i'm gonna take a shot on uriah hall at plus 270 because that money line is just a little bit too crazy but even his ko line uh that's sitting at uh plus 350 plus 400 at certain spots i think that's a damn good spot i think he can find that chino Munez and put him away late in this fight even if you want to get cute with it and go uh, Hall via KO round three. That's currently sitting at plus 1,700 up to plus 2,000 on certain spots. That's been his sweet spot is, is getting late finishes and waiting for guys to kind of slow down, and then he can finally let that big power go. Munez, not the greatest striker, definitely more of a grappler than he is a striker, and I think we're going to see that change here uh, the later that this fight goes. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision is another spot that I'm kind of keen on. That's currently sitting at... Uh, wow, it's actually minus four hundred. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tout it too much as a minus four hundred. But I do I don't think this fight reaches the scorecards. It's either Munez gets that early sub, which historically speaking doesn't work against Uriah Hall, or Uriah Hall gets a late finish in this fight and puts away Munez. So give me uh, Uriah Hall KO plus four hundred.
What about yourself? Yeah, I'm thinking this is the exact same thing. Like, it's obviously an underdog shot. It's obviously a punt play. Plus 400 is a wicked price tag. But, yeah, I just think in things that are plausible to happen, this is one of them. So you basically hammered every point that I want to make. But just a couple to add in there. Andre Muniz has four career losses. All four of them are by knockout. And, by the way, like, fairly early into rounds, the first one is a one-rounder, and then Doctor stops it after the first. The second one against Douglas Mora, 251 into the very first round. The third one against Julio Cesar dos Santos, minute five into the second. And then he got dropped by Merzikanov 50 seconds in. So whereas you're saying Uriah Hall probably knocks him out late, and again, I probably agree with that statement, I think Hall could clip him at any point. This guy does not have a good chin. Now again, look at the rest of his career as well, right? <clears throat> Here's somebody that gets on the Ultimate Fighter, right? He took on Bruno Assis on the Ultimate Fighter. Or sorry, on uh, Dana Wentz Contender Series the first time around. He defeats Bruno Assis by decision. It's a bad fight. Dana opts to not sign him and give him a contract. And Bruno Assis, for the record, got TKO'd by my boy Aaron Jeffrey. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> they passed on him the first time. The second time he comes in against Taylor Johnson, who's a bonafide bum, like worst ring IQ you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, and Johnson just takes him down and gets submitted. So on one hand, the guy's got a very clearly, uh, you know, a very adept submission game. On the other hand, he needs to fight a certain level. And so far, that's been it. A win over Bartos Fabinski, Fabinski fights, not very smart. I went over Eric Anders. I'm just not a very, very big Eric Anders guy. I went over Jacare. Legit. Who the hell summons Jacare? Nobody. Yeah. But little grain of salt, at least, you know, Jacare ain't exactly what he used to be. Somebody that's going to go out there and fight back, somebody that's going to stuff a couple takedowns, somebody that can survive for a little bit, and somebody that can touch his chin is going to do some damage. Hall's 37 years old, but he's still very fast. He's got stuff that you don't see coming with like the flying knee, the spinning hook kick, stuff that he's used effectively in the past. But he's also got his bread and butter, the jab, the right hand. I think he's got a lot of weapons that could, in theory, knock this man out. Now, in terms of can he get submitted? Listen, he's got 17 professional, or sorry, 27 pro fights and four fights on the Ultimate Fighter that count as exhibitions. Never been submitted. Never been submitted in his career. He's fought like five BJJ black belts. I understand hasn't fought in a whole lot of grapplers, but has given a good account of himself. And of course, you mentioned the ACJ fight. ACJ is currently making a million dollars to fight yeah. in the all-mass PFL tournament at 205. And you don't look at a place. This is a big man. A big man that was on Uriah Hall's back for like 10 minutes. Hall defended everything. So he's never been submitted before. It's not. It's crazy to say that he might be able to survive those early exchanges with Andre Muniz. And if he does, he's going to be still in the fight and he'll be able to clip him late. This is a guy that's been full-time out of Las Vegas for a long time. He's trained with the best of the best. He doesn't always come up with the big victory, but, I mean, he's a perennial training partner to world champions, and he's fought a pretty solid, uh, legitimate level of competition himself. So I think he's live as an underdog. And how would he get the job done? Probably by the knockout. And what's the price? Plus 400. All right, all right. Sign me up. Let's hope there's a little magic left in the tank because we've seen this guy do it before, and uh, it's plausible that he might be able to do it again on Saturday. Yeah, that's crazy that we're three fights into this card and we're both already on two underdogs in this spot. And I think that's a sign of things to come because there are some live underdogs on this card, man. I was kind of surprised when I was skimming the odds pre-tape and then after writing the tape, I'm like, oh shit, like maybe this guy should be the favorite. Why, why are these lines so off? Yeah, well, spoiler alert. I think I got a lot of favorites going forward, but oh. <laughs> but no, but I, but I will admit, like there's a couple of these close 50 50 type fights I, I don't know we'll talk i got one more dog we'll, we got we got one more good underdog coming up we'll have to talk about but uh 
Yeah, well, and what you're noticing on the UFC every week is that like these these women's MMA bouts, right? They fly under the radar. The underdogs have been cashing him and coming through, right? Andre Muniz, he's a flavor du jour type guy. Like you said, it's very easy to get behind somebody like a Fialo, like somebody who comes in and they've got a, a quick, uh, you know, run of quick knockouts and they're very exciting. And then all of a sudden it's like, but what's the real stylistical clash? And I think Muniz's case is that he's not fighting any strikers. And you know something interesting? If you go back and watch that Antonio Arroyo fight, Mooney's lands 13 strikes in the first round. Right? And then the second, he lands seven because he's already gassed. And then the third, he lands two. He's all the way gassed out. So, yeah, like when you win three fights in a row by first round finish, everybody loves that, loves it. But, like it's mm -hmm. not it's not showing you the grand picture, the, the bigger picture here, which is like how good is his cardio if he doesn't get that first round finish? So, you're seeing the same things I'm seeing. I'm happy about that. And this next one, I uh, don't know what to think. So let's uh, let's get at it. Tavares de Places. What yeah, the hell? That this one's going to be a very interesting but, one. Like I said, yeah. uh, Tavares against Duplessis in terms of odds, minus one fifty on the uh, South African and plus one thirty on the Hawaiian, uh, who obviously calls Las Vegas home for the last several years now. Uh, intriguing fight, right? Primarily two strikers going at each other. Obviously, Tavares a little bit more lenient on the um, uh, on the output. He he kind of relies on combinations and and putting his handiwork together, uh, mixing in some head kicks every now and then. Duplessis, that guy likes to go out there and just knock his opponents out. Right? There's no other way about it. Like he likes to go out there, put his uh, chin on, or sorry, put his fist on your chin and try to knock you out. Pretty much. That's how he's won the majority of his fights. That's how he's won the majority of his UFC bouts as well. Uh, since coming to the UFC, he's 2-0. Uh, got touched up a little bit by uh, Marcus Perez early in their fight before he eventually found that left hook to put him out. And then obviously we saw that uh, shellacking he put up against uh, Trevin Jaws before knocking him out in that second round. But Brad Tavares, in my opinion, is a little bit more of a complete striker than those two last guys that we saw uh, Drickus Duplessis go up against. It's all about... Can Brad Tavares put it together once again? It feels like he's been inside the UFC forever, but he's only 34 years old. He made his UFC debut. Well, he was technically on the Ultimate Fighter Season 11 back in 2010, but made his UFC debut uh, in June of 2010. So it's been almost 12 years now that he's been inside the UFC. He's gone on a couple of good runs, a couple four-fight winning streaks, five-fight winning streaks, but always ends up hitting a rough patch against like the top of the top, right? Yoel Romero. Tim Boach uh, knocks him out in the second round back in August of 2014, loses quickly to Robert Whitaker back in 2015. Uh, and then obviously uh, his last two losses were Israel Adesanya uh, back in July of 2018, and then Edmund Shabazian knocking him out with a left head kick uh, halfway through round one back in November of 2019. So he can be clipped. He can be hurt. And that's kind of my hesitation in terms of actually betting Brad Tavares in this spot because I like the plus money beside him. But good God, does Drickus Duplessis have this crazy godlike knockout power once he's able to connect with his opponents, especially the way that he's built. He's able to generate this crazy amount of knockout power that uh, once he's able to swing his hips and swing his shoulders with that strike and find that chin of his opponents, he puts them out. And we, we've seen it time and time again. So that is my hesitation here. So the, the two props that I'd be looking at to play here from either side, obviously Duplessis by knockout, that's sitting around minus 195, or sorry, plus 95, plus 195 or plus 200. And then on the flip side for Tavares, not much of a finisher, right? He, he more so relies on his volume. He doesn't really put the most of them to his shots to try to knock his opponents out. So Tavares by decision is plus 175. 
either or, right? Like I, I'd be surprised to see Duplessis to win a decision here. He'd have to get a knockdown in two rounds and, you know, have that outweighed the volume that's going to be coming back his way. Um, or he just gets outstruck and, and loses a decision to, to Tavares. So probably the toughest fight to call on the entire card. I like to lean more so with the guy that has the overall tools to win the fight. And that would be Brad Tavares here. But it's so hard to go against guys that are that have that godlike knockout power that seems like Duplessis has. So I'm going to lean more so on the uh, Tavares side here. I'm going to say Tavares by uh, by decision, like I said, plus 175. But good God, like I said, th- this is the toughest one for me to call on the entire card. And it seemed like you were quite hesitant about it as well. So I'm interested to hear, hear you talk this one out. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I mean, good fight, of course. I think it'd go either way. Brad Tavares, you know, he's a lot more seasoned. He maybe has a little more volume. He's a little more trustworthy in that you know what you're going to get. But yeah, it's the betting against Duplacis in his power. I mean, the guy absolutely cracks. He's got the ability to go out there and land that left hook. And listen, the guy's got just heavy, heavy power. When you're Brad Tavares, you're not someone that's necessarily shown to be chinny. But at the same time, here's my issue with Brad Tavares is that he has been dropped four or five times. His chin doesn't seem to be particularly great about me. And he's another guy that I think is almost benef- beneficiary from soft-ish matchups. Look at his fights, okay? Amari Akhmedov, this is his last fight. Amari Akhmedov, not a striker, okay? The one before that, Antonio Carlos Jr. Antonio Carlos Jr., not a striker. Both these guys are grapplers. One BJJ, one combat Sambo. But to get into a striking battle with them for 15 minutes, not exactly their specialty. Evan Shabazian is a striker. Evan Shabazian absolutely fucked him up, right? Drops him. Twice in the fight, head kick puts him away. Absolutely buzzsaws through him. Has had zero success in the UFC since then, but absolutely kills Brad Tavares. Why? Because he's actually a real striker. The fight before is the Adesanya. He went the distance, admirable. He got outstruck 119 to 40. He missed with almost all of his punches. Bad performance, but he's a good striker. You'll see this on repeat. His wins, Jocko, Talis Latis, Lysiodoru, Keo Magalesh, all of which are considered bad strikers. The one before that, Robert Whitaker, knocked the fuck out. So he's very serviceable. If you watch him in his first UFC fight and you watch him to this UFC fight, there's not a whole lot of progression there. He fights the exact same. He doesn't try to take you down. He stands in front of you. He throws relatively the same combinations. He spans the same leg kick. He's the same prototypical fighter that he's always been. But there's real no progression there. And of course, when he fights good strikers, he gets knocked out or gets soundly outclassed. And when he fights... The Amari Akhmedovs or the ACJs of the world, guys that are live or die by the takedown and they can't get it, he can make those type fights work for him. Against strikers two places, I think that he's going to land some punches. The problem with Brad Tavares is in one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. In 20 UFC fights, he's won two of them by knockout. Christoph Jocko and my boy Phil Baroni. Only guy on the roster with a win over Phil Baroni, by the way, in case you were wondering. He's been around the block a long time. He hasn't really shown to have big power. And so what I think this is going to be is two strikers going at it. But Brad Tavares will land a two-three punch combination, and Drakus will eat it, walk through the pocket, and land one of his own. And I think those are going to be the heavier, more impactful blows. I think eventually he's going to clip them. So to be honest, I got Drakus winning this fight, but I think I'm going to try to chase that plus 195 by knockout. 
I don't mind it at all. You definitely have the the facts to back it up. And historically speaking, like you said, when he does go up against big strikers, they definitely can find that chin of Brad Tavares and put him out here. Uh, man, I, I'm staying away from that fight. I, I want nothing to do with it. Uh, Any time Duplessis fights for some reason, I just have a hard time, you know, really picking out whether he should win or not. Again, a lot of it is based on him finding the opponent, uh, his chin's opponent, and putting them out. It's worked out so far in the UFC. It's worked out. You know, he has a 16 and two record. Not bad. Not to mention a big knockout victory over, uh, you know, one of the best fighters outside of the UFC, Roberto Soldich, who obviously did get his yeah. revenge uh, after that. He fight. knocked him out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back. So he can knock out pretty much anybody. So he's yeah. definitely live to do so here. All right, let us move on to the next fight. Here we're looking at uh, hype train. On the card here, Ian Gary, 9-0, going up against Gabe Green. In terms of odds, uh, not hype train-like odds, though, right? He's minus 170 here against Gabe Green, who comes back at plus 145. Uh, Ian Gary, you know, solid prospect, solid striker. You know, had a pretty good run on the on the cage warrior scene. Obviously became the champion over there before getting signed to the UFC. I still have question marks about the kid. You know, Gabe Green is a guy that's going to drag him into a, a serious battle here. He's going to drag him into a war. And I'm not sure if uh, Ian Gary is going to be up to task here. He's the better technical striker. He can probably traverse the cage a little bit better. He might be able to use his reach and his length uh, uh, a lot better than Gabe Green. And Gabe, you know, at times is a little bit wild and winging with his shots, which should allow Ian Gary to kind of snipe him from distance here. I've been battling back and forth <clears throat> in regards to how I want to approach this fight. I do end up coming out on the on the Ian Gary side. The only thing holding me back is the type of fight that I expect Gabe Green to make this, right? Like I said, it's going to be a war. He's going to be moving forward pretty much the entire time. He's going to be throwing big bombs. He might even knock down Gary at a certain point. It all depends on Gary's resiliency, ability to battle back from adversity. And this is, I think, the first time we're going to see him battle true adversity inside the octagon. And we'll see if he can actually dig down deep and come out with the W here. I am ultimately going to lean on his side. I think his technical work from the outside will prove too much for Gabe Green. Gabe just gets hit way too much for my liking. Sure, he has a ton of power, but if he's getting out-finessed by his opponents, like it seemed like he was against Daniel Rodriguez, I think he's in for trouble here. So um, I'll go Ian Gary. I think the hype train rolls on here, but I think at a certain point, we're going to have to hop off that train because I do see some deficiencies in his game that you know, right guys will be, be able to take advantage of. I just don't think that Gabe Green is going to be the guy. When it was announced initially, I'm like, hmm, we might get plus 300 on Gabe Green here. You know, that's what hype trains normally do, but it seems like the public is privy into how Gabe Green can make this a, a tougher fight for Gary than it should be. But I still do think that the uh, Irish prospect will come out on top. Uh, I'm going to take him. Let's call it a decision. Gabe Green's head is built like a cement block. You know, the guy is hard to put away, uh, especially at this point in his career. So I do think that Gary uh, uh, outpoints him on the feet, touches him up, wins his fight via decision. Gary, by decision, currently sits up plus 200. Not too bad of a line on the flip side. If you do think Green finds that chin of Gary and puts him out, plus 450 for Green to win by KO. Not too bad of a look there, but I'm going to go with the Irishman here. What about yourself, Cody? Yeah, I'm the same boat. I'm going to go with Gary. First of all, Gabe Green is a perennial underdog. Like, if you can get plus money for this guy, you feel good about betting it because he'll fight to the death, this man. He just keeps coming forward. He keeps letting his hands go. He's got a lot of heart. He didn't have great durability on the regional scene, but so far in the UFC, tremendous durability. 
fighting for your dollars. So anybody that's getting my plus money, listen, I completely understand. With Gary, though, it seems like this is a good stylistical clash that favors him. He likes guys that come forward and try to brawl. I mean, he likes to try to use his footwork, create angles, and then uh, be a, a very much a counterpuncher. So in the last fight with Darian Weeks, I feel like Weeks wasn't really engaging him. It turned out being a sloppy fight. Jordan Williams was kicking his ass. But, of course, Jordan Williams made the mistake of eventually trying to brawl with him and came forward face first, and Gary's able to intercept him. This one I've got somewhat mixed feelings on because if Gary does what he's capable of, he goes out there and gets easy money takedowns. I mean, the guy's a judo black belt. You haven't seen it in his two UFC fights because he's yet to complete a successful takedown. But they, certainly if you go back and you watch the Cage Warrior stuff, the guy's a pretty adequate grappler. Flip side to that with Gabe Green, he gave up two takedowns to Johan Lyonas, which is a fairly big no-no. He got taken down by Philip Rowe twice. Philip Rowe rocks with 33% takedown accuracy. He's four fights into the UFC. He's only taken down one guy, and it was Gabe Green. He took him down twice. And then, of course, he got taken down by Daniel Rodriguez as well. So he gives up takedowns in all of his fights. They're usually pretty predictable takedowns. They're generally not exactly high-level stuff. But what happens is, is that he, it's a war and they're tired and it's a drag him out fight and he's able to prop back up to his feet and get right back on you. I think if Gary minds his P's and Q's, he just takes him down and is able to neutralize him from, from top position, score some ground and pound. The other problem is this kid's young. He thinks he's Conor McGregor, which he's very clearly not. And as a result, he wants these exciting finishes. He wants these exciting fights. Gabe Green's there to give you an exciting fight. So you, do you take that way out and wrestle the guy? And he's been doing fights uh, leading up to fight week, basically being like, oh, I was upset with my last performance. And I messaged Sean Shelby and said, you know, I can do way better. And I want an exciting fight. And I want to entertain the crowd. And all I got Gabe Green. So, like, if you get lulled into brawling with this guy, it's not going to be good. Because has anybody thought Ian Gary has looked good in either of his two UFC fights at this point? No. No. Looked terrible against Williams, but was able to catch him. The week's fight, I don't know. I wouldn't say he looked terrible, but just lackluster, I suppose. Just kind of went through the motions. Green's going to bring the fight to him, only I'm expecting that to bring out the best of him. So I got Gary, and unfortunately, Gary, by decision, same thing as you, simply because Gabe Green's got one hell of a chin on him, and I, I don't know enough about Gary's submission game to think that he's going to snatch something up if the fight does hit the ground. So plus 200 Gary by decision, I don't mind that. I like it. I like it. I like it. Again, I, I do think that eventually that train is going to stop, but Green – He'll give us some more information on Gary for sure in terms of how he deals with adversity and deals with a bulldozer and, and a, a bull like Gabe Green. But uh, finesse sometimes outwits the, the bull for sure. When Gabe Green beat Philip Rowe, Rowe flat gassed. You know, when he fought yeah. Johan Linus, Linus flat gassed. With Gary, it's not that I don't think he could gas out. It's that like he fought five rounds for Cage Warriors and looked totally mm -hmm. fine. He's 24 years old. Like, I don't, I don't think he'll gas to the same level as those other guys. And uh, again, right, with we, we talk about Gabe Green's um, chin, and it is very good. It's very solid. It's very durable. And in fact, we've if we do got Gary, we got Gary by decision. But one thing is, like, he did get iced twice on the regional scene fairly fairly easily. And then he did get dropped pretty hard by Johan Lyoness. He just he made a quick recovery. So I wouldn't completely rule out, like, it's not like a decision's an absolute lock. But at plus 200, I think it's the most, you know, obvious path to victory, I would think. But uh yeah, and I like you know, you got to learn your lesson about betting against Gabe Green at some point, and you got to learn your lesson about riding these wonky ass hype trains like Ian Gary at some point. I'm just hoping both of those don't meet on Saturday, and that's the crossing point, right? Give me one more softy for Gary, and then we'll, we'll fade him in the future. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the next one here, and we got UFC veterans going out of here. We got Donald Cowboy Cerrone taking on Jim Miller. Jim Miller obviously stepping in for Lozon. Cerrone Lozon seems to be, you know. 
old school version of Ferguson versus Habib where they just can't get him to match up. But Jim Miller steps in for a rematch that took place place i let me just get the correct date here i believe it was 11 years ago in atlantic city where uh donald cowboy sorny was able to finish him not once but twice if you remember you heard him to the body and then eventually finished him uh on the feet as well uh just pulling it up here cowboy jim miller where is it why can't i find it uh jim miller jim oh uh 2014 so sorry it was eight years ago uh almost eight years to the day it was uh, Ju- uh july 16 so two weeks shy of uh eight year anniversary of their fight but yeah head kick and punches is how we defeated him way back in the day and uh they've both had you know a, a different run since then uh obviously cowboy sony was able to notch a a title shot against rda where he got blasted pretty early but he did manage to put together a 12 and 10 record since the last time they fought uh, although it was 12 and five at a certain point, then he went on a five fight losing streak, which is what he's currently on right now. And then on the flip side for Jim Miller, he's gone 10 and 11, but he's gotten a couple more victories, uh, more recently than Donald Cowboy Cerrone in the last couple of years. But look at the level of competition that Cowboy Cerrone has been going up against, whereas Jim Miller's just been, you know, dusting some of these, uh, contender series guys or these short notice guys. And that's why he's still able to get some green on his record with Cowboy. You know, you go from guys like, uh, uh, Tony Ferguson to Justin Gaethje to Conor McGregor, which was, let's face it, a toss-up match for Conor to just get back in there and get his feet wet. And then obviously he loses that close fight against Anthony Pettis. Uh, should have lost the the fight against uh, Nico Price um, had it not been for a bunch of those uh, points being taken away. And then obviously he takes on short notice Alex Morono. He was originally scheduled to fight Diego Sanchez that night. Uh, in steps Alex Morono on short notice and just blasts Cowboy uh, you know, almost at the ending of that first round. But we know that's been the kryptonite for Cowboy, right? Slow starts. That's kind of plagued him throughout his career, you know, especially in big spots when he feels confident coming in on a big winning streak, but then his opponents are able to blast him early and then get him out of there. Uh, like I said, Morono was successful in doing that. Now, what I find interesting is that he was a minus 170, minus 180 favorite against Joe Lozon the, the couple of times that they were scheduled over the last month or two. And I feel like we're getting somewhat of a similar fighter here in Jim Miller. Maybe Jim Miller a little bit more reliable with his durability, but a lot of their success, Lozon and Miller I'm talking about, comes in the first round. So why all of a sudden we switch it to Jim Miller and now Jim Miller is a minus 200 favorite. Let me see what the actual line is here. But the last time I saw it was minus 200. I'm seeing minus 175, minus 180, minus 190 on Jim Miller. I don't get it. it this should be closer to a pick and fight, right? We know what Jim Miller's path to victory is. His last four victories, or sorry, last three victories have all come under one and a half rounds. That's his sweet spot. He tries to clip you early, tries to get that submission going. If he can't get it going, he'll probably knock you out. If he can't get that going, he likely goes on to lose the fight. The last time you want to fight by decision, six years ago, I believe that was UFC 205 against Tiago Alves, the ghost of Tiago Alves. He beats him by decision. But it's not often that uh, Jim Miller can go the distance and actually pull it off. If Donald Cowboy Sorny does not get blasted early in this first round here, I think he starts to find his groove and really starts to touch up Jim Miller like he did in their first meeting and starts to run away with this in the second and third rounds. I know a lot of people are dead set on the fact that Jim Miller is going to clip him and put him out. And if you are of that thinking, you're getting plus 250 on Jim Miller uh, to win in round one, much better than his minus 175, minus 180 money line. But that is the bulk of his win condition. Sure, if you want to extend it into the second round, he's gotten a couple finishes in the second round as well. Miller to win in round two is plus 450. So maybe sprinkling your action between those two. Or if you have access to one of those books that allows you to have round one, round two, that might be the best way to take it for Jim Miller. But I think we see Cerrone 
take that early punishment and then come back and start to win rounds two and round three and pull away with the decision victory. And the decision prop for Cowboy Cerrone is a juicy plus 500. Crazy to me. Plus 550 now. That he's plus 550 to win by decision. Jim Miller, a lot of people think that he's easy to put away later in the fight, but a lot of his recent losses have forced him to go to a decision. I don't know if Cowboy Cerrone will be able to put together combinations to put him away early in this fight. I think he's just going to try to touch him up, stay safe on the outside, and just outpoint Jim Miller uh, with his striking. So I am leaning Cerrone. I might have a bet on his money line, but even as his decision prop, like I said, is very sexy at plus 550. I think he touches up Miller, outpoints him on his way to a decision victory. Again, on the flip side for Miller, plus 275 to win by KO. Club and sub is obviously possible. Submission is plus 250, but inside the distance for Jim Miller is plus 110. Best spot, in my opinion, for Jim Miller, round one, plus 250. Otherwise, Cerrone takes over. What about you, my man? Are you are you surprised at how wide this line is, or do you think that Miller just rolls over him? Oh, I think you're muted. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm. I don't think that the line's particularly accurate. I think that I would favor Jim Miller, but on a two to one basis, like I don't know. It's a fight that's come together late. A lot of the things that I would like to fade about Cerrone, namely. Look how bad he looked on the scales prior to the last Joe Lozon potential meeting, right? Looked terrible. Looked like he'd been in a microwave, died in the desert, fried up, and Lozon's the one that pulls out. So him and making 155, I'd love to fade him. Unfortunately, they're giving him a favor by moving this fight up to 170, right? At 170 pounds, he's going to be a lot more filled out. He's not going to have a dirty weight cut. And Jim Miller is a guy that's been largely fighting at 155 pounds as well. So that new weight, you know, it actually does favor Donald Cerrone. The other thing is Donald Cerrone is all about confidence. He's always been about confidence. If he thinks he can win, he's confident. And he, and he gets rolling in there. And he, mentally, he's in a good place. He goes out there and he performs. When he's worried, when he thinks he's getting his ass kicked, when he thinks he's not in shape, that's where he performs poorly. So if they're giving him a guy that he's already beaten, who he legitimately beat the crap out of, I think he'd be feeling good about himself. So if I've got a Cerrone on a good weight cut and a Cerrone that's confident, I'm going to get a much better version of him than I'm anticipating. And at that kind of plus money, yeah, maybe worth a shot. But, sorry, uh, sorry. One, one thing I just want to add. This sure. fight's at welterweight as well. That's so what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Weight cut, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's at 170 pounds, so he's not going to have to make the weight cut down to 155, so he should be feeling better. It's a, an opponent that he's already defeated. Therefore, he's going to have some confidence. And those are two of the things that when I'm fading Cerrone, I'm worried. I, I'm, I'm, I'm banking on him having a bad weight cut, you know, and maybe mentally not being into it. So, yeah, I, I think the UFC's put him in a better position to succeed. This is a winnable fight for him. The money line doesn't necessarily reflect that. So, you know, I agree with all those points, but I, I still end up going with Jim Miller. Like part of the reason I was going with Joe Lozon is one, I don't think Donald Cerrone is in good shape. I think at 39 years old, the old Cowboys all worn out. He's just got this number in his head where I got to make it to 50 fights. I got to make it to 50 fights, but it's not like I got to make it competitively to 50 fights. He's just dead set on this number. He's been partying. He's been filming movies in Thailand. I don't think he's in great shape. And I expected Joe Lozon to go out there and have a fast start on him. He's a notoriously slow starter. Get the pounce on him. Joe Lozon, unfortunately, pulls out. Jim's going to come in, and Jim's going to do much of the same. Jim's a fast starter. He's one of these guys that tries to take you out in a round and a half. That's perfect because you need that quick jump on Donald Cerrone. Miller's been spending a lot of time working on his boxing. But, but um, you know, his, his combinations have gotten a lot better. The overhand left's gotten a lot better. You see him go out and knock at his last two UFC opponents using using his striking. I feel like he's got enough power. I feel like he's got good enough boxing that he could clip Donald Cerrone. If he does, he's got to put him away quick. And that's, that's what I'm going to go with. 
I will 100% agree with you. Donald Cerrone has fought in the best guys in the sport twice over, right? The list is a very exceptional. Tony Ferguson, Gaethje, McGregor, Pettis, you name them all, right? It's the Alex Morono fight. That's where shit falls off the rails. Alex Morono has almost 20 UFC fights, 10 of which are wins. He's knocked out two guys. He doesn't have power. He's not a power puncher. He's punched guys with his best shot 10 times in a row in the face. They've taken it. Morono is not a power guy. Donald Cerrone shells up the second he gets hit. It's like his equilibrium's gone, his balance is gone, and all of a sudden he's just shelling up and gets TKO'd in the first round against Morono, who took the fight on short notice. It's a bad look. He hasn't fought in a year. He's gotten older. It's not as if he's training particularly hard. He's got other business ventures. He tried doing a little bit of submission grappling. Both times he got submitted. Joe Selecki finished him in three minutes. Then you've subsequently seen Joe Selecki spend about 25 minutes on people's backs since then and get nothing out of it, by the way, right? So I don't think his grappling is top-notch. I don't think his striking is top-notch. I think his body's in bad condition. Yes, this fight's at 170. Yes, he's beaten this guy before. I just, I can't put my hard-earned money on Donald Cerrone in 2022. Now, is that saying that Jim Miller's a good bet? Not necessarily. Is Jim Miller a good bet? A minus 220? No. Minus 200? No. Minus 170? Probably still not, but a little bit more to my liking. But yeah, I think if you take Miller, you probably take Miller by TKO. or Miller, you know, under one and a half rounds and uh, approach it from that angle. So I am still going to take them, but I'm going to agree with a lot of your points for sure. Not only are they fighting to get both of their paychecks this weekend, but they are fighting to uh, be number one in terms of most UFC wins as well. All uh, They are both tied with Andre Lasky right now for 23 UFC wins. If uh, whoever comes out on top will hold that sole number one spot with 24 UFC wins, not to mention uh, total UFC fights. Jim Miller will be entering his 40th UFC fight this weekend. He sits at the top at number one. Cowboy Cerrone will go on to tie Andre Olofsky for 38 uh, in second place. So record book shit on this fight between uh, Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lozen. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because you just know how long they've been fighting inside the UFC and how weathered they are at this point. They've been, they've been so long at it where it's like two yeah. fights ago, Cerrone Lozon. It's like mysterious illness canceled. It's like, yeah, his body <laughs> And then they rebook him versus Lozon. It's like, oh, Lozon, mysterious. Arthritis you know? or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, leg walks up and it's like let's book versus miller what's the worst that can happen it's like miller's got lyme disease <laughs> it's like, oh, man. It's like, so they're the old dogs on the block no doubt about it but uh miller's relevant you know he's picked up two legitimate wins the win over moda not bad dude yeah whereas he hasn't fought in a year he used to fight five times a year now it's his first fight in 12 months you know his body's a little banged up he's been spending time in thailand he's been shooting movies you know, he's got the Budweiser sponsorship. He's a celebrity, right? There's there's more to life. Whereas, like, Miller, him, and his brother, Dan, they, they were always, like, the quintessential blue-collar boys. And I, I just feel like, you know, it maybe means a little bit more to go and get revenge for Jim Miller than it does to just beat the guy up again for Donald Cerrone. For sure, for sure. All right, let us get to our prelim headliner here. Banger of a fight we got between uh, Brad Quake Riddell and Jalen Turner. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 140 for the Tarantula and plus 120 the return on Brad Riddell. I spent a solid three hours tape starting this fight last night with my Patreon members. Very fun fight to look into. Both guys have banger, you know, a banger catalog of fights to their record. Um, you know, finishes here and there or just absolute wars that they've gone through in the past and pre-tape 
I was leaning on the Brad Riddell side, right? I was like, why is all this money coming in on Jalen Turner, taking him from like a even money favorite all the way up to a minus 150 favorite? But then you run the tape and then you see, okay, it, it kind of makes a little bit of sense as to why. But a lot of his success has to be leaned on on, on the front loading, if, I, if, if I'm uh, saying that properly, in terms of a lot of his finishes come under that one and a half round mark, right? He uses his length, his speed, and his ability to put his punches together so accurately to ding his opponents up that he can either drop them and club and sub them or just club them and drum them, pretty much getting them out of there with a ground and pound as well. He, he loves to use his lead right hook whenever he's in that southpaw position, and he can just use it in so many different ways and so many angles that it catches opponents by surprise because of how quickly he's able to uh, to let it go. Right, uh, I believe it was the Callan Potter fight, or it might have been the uh, Joshua Kulibau fight, where he like uses it to to fake an uppercut, and he gets his opponent to bite on that, and then he comes over top with the right hook and knocks them out that way as well. Very, very impressive work, but a lot of his um, success is dependent on that speed and being able to get to the target before his opponents are able to get to him. But we do see it in the Matt Favola fight. We see it a little bit in the Brock Weaver fight before he eventually tags him and eventually chokes him out in that fight late in that second round. But something that is prevalent in Turner fights is he starts to not slow down, but you don't see him stalking his opponents as effectively as he is in number, round number one as he does later in fights. And that could pose him some troubles here against Brad Riddell, who likely will accept the back foot early in this fight, you know, um, showing respect to the speed and the power of Jalen Turner early in this fight. But as it starts to wear on, Brad Riddell might get some uh, confidence and he might be the one starting to push Jalen Turner back. But the thing is with Brad Riddell, a lot of his success comes from uh, getting his opponent to accept to exchange in the pocket. And I'd be surprised if Jalen Turner is going to be there at any point to exchange in the, the pocket to the point that Brad Riddell could get a knockdown or a knockout of some sort. Cause I think that's what he's going to need to, uh, to outwork Jalen Turner, right? I think Jalen Turner uh, averages about six and a half strikes landed per 15 minutes. And then on the flip side uh, for Brad Riddell, it's about four and a half. So he, he hasn't beat by like two significant strikes uh, landed per minute there. And you see it in his work, right? Even if he doesn't put a lot on it, he's just throwing it out there to kind of maintain his distance. A lot of straight one-twos down the middle, using the team kick up the middle, using the front kick up the middle, even bringing it up to the face if he needs to because of his length. Because the guy is a lanky motherfucker at 155 pounds. Six foot three with the 80-inch reach, right? Like, absolutely insane that he's having that those types of metrics uh, as, a, as, a, uh, as a lightweight. Because he's going to have a solid uh, height advantage here. I believe it's... Uh, Roughly about a six or seven inch height advantage that he's going to have. Sorry, he has a 77 inch reach. So a six, six. inch reach in height. Yeah, six eight, inch reach. Eight, and eight reach. in height and reach, yeah. Eight in height and six in reach, which is crazy, right? Uh, I can't wait to see them square off tomorrow at the weigh-ins because that's going to be a sight to behold. But that's the advantage for Jalen Turner is always going to be the length, the speed, and uh, the ability to establish that distance. It, it was hard watching the Brad Riddell tape to be like, you know, this guy is a good comparison to Jalen Turner. There's not. There is no good guy to look back on Brad Riddell's record and be like, this is a good uh, comparison to, to put to Jalen Turner to see how he reacts with dealing with taller fighters. You'd have to go back to watch the Kanan Song fight. And even Kanan Song is only six foot, right? He's still three inches shorter than Jalen Turner. And we saw Brad Riddell attacking the lead leg first and then eventually starting to go up top. And that's how he was able to, to get uh, Kanan Song out of there. I believe it was a body shot, which led to uh, uh, shots to the head that got him out of there. So, I just don't see Riddell closing the distance effectively enough to land his big shots. And I think Jalen Turner should be able to cruise from the outside. 
I do have concerns, though, should this fight go late. Because if Turner does start to, you know, let the foot off the gas a little bit, I think Rodell is going to move forward and uh, really start to put it on him. And he could start to pull away with this fight later on. I'm seeing a lot of love for the fight doesn't go to decision. And I think that's more so based on the Jalen Turner side uh, of him getting a, you know, maybe a finish within the first round and a half with his speed and his uh, agility. I don't know if Rodell will be able to get that knockout later in this fight if Turner does start slowing down. So I'm leaning Turner. I'm leaning Turner uh, inside the distance. Uh, that's plus 135. Turner by sub is a sneaky one here, plus 700 for him to win by sub. I think that's very, very sneaky, especially considering one of the finishes that Brad Riddell has on his record is via armbar. I'm sure he's shored up his uh, grappling since then. But if he gets clubbed here, he might get subbed by Turner. And then on the flip side for Riddell, plus 290 for him to win by knockout. I'm just not a big believer in that. You know, again, he he's uh, almost a modern-day Sean Shirk in terms of his his reach at a certain type and, and the way that he fights. A lot of it is pocket exchanges for him to have success. I just don't see him having it here. So I'm going Turner, Turner inside the distance with a little bit of a sprinkle on that plus 700 on Turner by sub. What about yourself? I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to take the dog money and Brad Riddell, but I will. I agree with everything you're saying. And so what I want to do is I want to hit Brad Riddell after the first round, live bet. Perfect. He's probably going to plus 300 after the first. He probably gets his ass kicked. Jalen Turner is long. He's lanky. He's extremely athletic. He's fast. And the boy is getting sharp, man. His hands are just getting way better. You saw in his last fight with Jamie Malarkey, he absolutely dissected him from range. He's definitely a problem for a lot of people, right? When you talk about how do you prepare against this guy, I don't know. I don't know if you're like, yo, Izzy, uh, you're, you're only about an inch taller than him. Mind helping me out? Like, holy shit, dude. This guy's a lightweight six foot three with a 77 inch reach. Huge, huge. But at the same time, I think there's a lot that Brad Riddell does bring to the table. So when we talked about earlier in the show about Andre Muniz and how everybody likes Andre Muniz because he's doing really well right now, well, it's very much the same thing with the Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner's on a slick little run right now in which he's dissecting and beating up limited level of opposition. The guys he's effectively fought are Jamie Malarkey, Euros Medic, Brock Weaver, Josh Kulabau, Kalen Potter. It's low level. Which one of those guys were strikers? Which one of those guys were elite level strikers? Which one of those guys could wrestle as well? And so that's kind of what makes me think that there's a little bit of intrigue there in Brad Riddell. We know he's tough. We know that he can get hit. He can get hurt, but he can also survive. He got hurt bad in the first uh, in the fight with Drew Dober, right? First round, hurt bad, overcomes it, ends up winning the fight. His last fight, unfortunately, did a win against Fiziev, but he's getting hurt pretty much the entirety of it, and he's able to roll with it until the third round where he gets his lights put out. He's tough enough to face some early adversity. The other thing is he's actually lost the first round in his last four fights. He lost the first round against Fiziev. He lost the first round against Dober. He lost the first round against Alex Silva. He lost the first round against Magomed Mustafaev. But in all those fights, he makes the adjustments because he's durable, he's got cardio, and he's got decent enough ring IQ. The other thing I want to talk about is the five takedowns against Drew Dober. In the Dober fight, he realized exchanging in the pocket, which is where he's at his best, Brad Riddell, also happens to be where Drew Dober's at his best. So he wanted to get away from it. So he switches up the game plan and goes after these five takedowns, in which his wrestling looks career best. Even his last fight against Fazeev does manage one takedown, but Raphael Fazeev, very, very difficult to take down these days. Brad Riddell's got an underrated wrestling game to go along with world-class striking. And I think that's important to note because with Jalen Turner, being six foot three is his benefit in that he's super tall and lanky, but I don't think his takedown defense is all that good. He got taken down by Jamie Malarkey. He got taken down by Brock Weaver. He gave four takedowns up against Matt Frivola, almost at will, by the way. 
I would say if you stand in the pocket, you exchange a couple shots with him and you're able to press forward and maybe mix in some takedowns in the mix. I think this is a good way to sap his gas tank, eventually tire him out, eventually make him a little slower, cause him to fight off the back foot, make it greasy. And I think those are all spots that, that Brad Riddell is able to thrive in. I'm fully expecting him to lose the first round. I'm fully expecting to get a much better price tag after the first. So I think as a live betting opportunity, that's where I would go. Because this is a pre-fight betting show, and also we're going after props, I would lean towards the uh, the Brad Riedel by decision it is the prop that I would like the most about it. But again, this is all stuff you'll be able to get a lot better after we uh, take a mauling for the first three minutes. And the flip side, flip side because as you saw two weeks ago, no, no fight got out of the first round. If there really is this big talent discrepancy, if Jalen Turner is um, billed as advertised, and he might be, the guy might be a special talent, and he smokes us out of there in the first round, well, you don't really got to worry about it. But if we take that beating and we're still there, I got a feeling that he's going to be able to turn the tide. My, my, that was kind of one of my big uh, leans on Brad Riddell was with the fact that he could implement his wrestling. Like you said, five takedowns against Drew Dober. The only thing that was kind of discouraging for me from seeing that fight, though, is he only managed to muster up two and a half minutes of uh, of control time there. So not the greatest in terms of holding his opponents down. Uh, Jalen Turner can be taken down, you're right, but he does a good job in terms of nullifying guys getting dominant positions or even riding him for, for long periods of time. I think Frivola is probably the better grappler between Frivola and Riddell themselves uh, and probably the better jiu-jitsu player than Riddell as well. Um, and even he was having, you know, slight periods of... of um, resistance in terms of keeping Jalen Turner on the ground. Not to mention, Turner has definitely mass, massively improved since that fight with Matt Favola. I believe that was UFC 236, same night that Adesanya fought Gaslam. So it's been a while ago, and Turner has definitely been making improvements. But you are right in the fact that this is the best striker that Jalen Turner has had to go up against since Vicente Luque in his UFC debut. Talk about a, a hazing in his UFC debut. But uh, no, we, we'll definitely be able to find out a lot about Jalen Turner this weekend, as we will about Brad Riddell. So great matchup. Seems like we're on opposite sides here, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this one shakes out. All right. That wraps up the prelim portion of the uh, Propping You Up show. Shout out to the 100 live viewers that we have with us on this Thursday afternoon slash evening. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe to let the all-star crew know that we are doing our job by giving you guys the best props that we can for every upcoming UFC card. Once again, another shout-out to BetOnline.ag, one of the best sports books out there for MMA betting. Not only do you get the UFC, but you can bet on Bellator, PFL, KSW, BFL, uh, Cage Warriors, CFFC, whatever you want. More than likely, BetOnline has odds for it, so make sure you guys go check them out. They'll match your initial deposit up to $1,000, at least 50% of it, if you use the link below. So make sure you guys go show them some love. And then obviously, shout out to CloudBet as well. We got a very interesting prop for the Pereira and Strickland fight that I'll uh, hover over once we get there. But then we also got a great uh, a group of uh, props for the entire card, as we normally have, especially made for the Prop New Up show. So stay tuned for that. All right, Cody, let us get into the main card here. First fight to kick off the main card, 10 p.m. Eastern, is Sean O'Malley's first test against a ranked opponent. And in my opinion, couldn't be an easier fight for him in terms of stylistically. We've got Sean O'Malley going up against Pedro Munoz in terms of odds. We're looking at minus 290 for Sean O'Malley, plus 245 for Pedro Munoz. 
who's in the midst of a one and four run in his last five fights. The only win in that stretch was against Jimmy Rivera, where he was able to beat up that lead leg, that calf, and really cause some issues for uh, for Jimmy Rivera that night. He outstruck him by nearly 30 strikes that night um, and, and went on to win a unanimous decision in a fight of the night performance there. Fight before that was, I believe he was a big favorite against Frankie Edgar. I think he was like minus 300 that night in that pay-per-view, or sorry, that main event slot on a fight night. And he ends up coming up short, saying, say what you want about the decision. He still ended up losing that fight. Say what you want about it. Still came out with the L. You still had to rip up your ticket if you had Pedro Munoz that night. That's what matters at the end of the day. Uh, And then most recently, uh, losing to Jose Aldo, where we saw almost a, you know, uh, a recent career best performance from Jose Aldo, right? We really saw him let go with his boxing, great body work in that fight. But that's the type of fight you're able to have against a guy like Pedro Munoz, who's kind of plodding and slow at times, you know, doesn't normally have the speed advantage over his opponents because he just likes to stalk his opponents, throw big shots, lean on the leg kick, calf kick whenever he can. But that's kind of his his spot, right? Like he's a BJJ black belt, solid jujitsu, but he never goes for takedowns, right? I, play, I believe... Since uh, 2016, he's only attempted two takedowns. The last time he actually landed a takedown uh, was against, um, where is that here? John Dodson, which is a fight he actually ended up losing in 2018. Sorry, it was 2018. So since the John Dodson fight, he's only attempted two takedowns and he hasn't completed any of them. So for you guys to go out there and think that that's what he's going to do here against Sean O'Malley, it's very difficult to say a fighter's going to do that when he historically doesn't. Even though it looks like an obvious play for them, it's not obvious to the fighter themselves because they believe in the other tools that have gotten them to the dance and are keeping them at the dance. Dominic Cruz, another fight where I, as soon as I saw that it was lined up, Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz, I felt it was a great spot for Pedro Munoz, or sorry, uh, Dominic Cruz. You know, I thought a lot of people were overlooking that Cruz could just dance around him and outstrike him for as long as he could. Sure, he gave up a knockdown in that fight, but he still went out there and outstruck him by 30 strikes, even landed a takedown of his own that night, winning that fight by unanimous decision. Sean O'Malley, like this is the perfect matchup for him, man. Just stick and move as best as possible. Use your range, use your footwork. Try to nullify the the kicking game of Pedro Munoz, which is probably the best part of his game. And he should be able to cruise here, right? Don't put too much onto the shots. Don't overextend too much so that you can get countered. Or don't stay too close enough that you'll get your leg chopped off. But this seems like the perfect matchup for, uh, for Sean O'Malley to do what Sean O'Malley does. Maybe not get the knockout. Like the knockout prop for Sean O'Malley is currently plus 160. I'd need a lot more than that. Because in the... Uh, in the seven career losses for Pedro Munoz, never been knocked out. In all the fights that he's had in the UFC, never been knocked down either. The guy has a chin made of granite, and I don't think that Sean O'Malley will be the one to crack it. Sure, he has the resume that says he might be able to, but Pedro Munoz's chin is just on a completely different level. So I would need like closer to like plus 300 on uh, O'Malley by KO to be able to pull the trigger on that. I am more so leaning with O'Malley by decision. That's currently sitting at plus 150. I think he just sticks and moves, doubles, maybe even triples Pedro Munoz on numbers here and takes home his first ranked victory of his UFC career. What are your thoughts for this one, my man? 
Yeah, again, along the same page. It's just I think Pedro Munoz is a dangerous opponent in that he's super durable, never been knocked out, took all of Jose Aldo's best shots for 15 minutes. So he's going to be there for 15 minutes against Sean O'Malley. He's also got a nasty leg-kicking game, right? He used it to great effect against Jimmy Rivera, but you remember that fight with Brett Johns back in the day? He drops Brett Johns three times. He completely destroys that front leg. And it's like, damn, this guy's got a legitimate calf kick. When you look at Sean O'Malley, he should have lost the Andre Sukwintath fight had Sukwintath just quite simply stood up. And he'd end up losing the Marlon Vero fight because of a busted leg. He does not deal well with leg kicks. He's got these tall, long chicken legs with no real muscle on them. And I feel like leg kicking game is going to be to great benefit. That's one thing about Pedro Munoz. He can go up there, he can take your best shot, and he can march you down and he can try to land those leg kicks. The other thing about him is that he's got extremely good volume. He landed 117 against Brett Johns in 15 minutes. He landed 105 against Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling is very difficult to hit. Aljamain Sterling danced around him all night. He still landed 105. That's still big, you know? 166 against Frank Yeager, although it was a five-rounder. Jimmy Rivera, 94. Jose Aldo, 75. Dominic Cruz, 74. These guys are fast. These guys are world-class. He's still landing over 70 strikes on all of them. So that's my one worry with O'Malley. He's like, O'Malley will stay to the outside. He'll beat him with a punch all day long. He'll, 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 he'll be faster. He'll be longer. 72-inch reach, that gives him a 7-inch reach advantage. And yes, he'll be able to use every bit of it. Because you've seen with Pedro Munoz, a guy with a 65-inch reach, he struggles with his everybody. Everybody except for Cody Garbrandt, who coincidentally also has a 65-inch reach, right? So... These longer guys have always had more success against him. These guys that are faster in range, your good footwork. This is the big cage. It's not. It's not in the apex. That should yield a whole lot of success. But no doubt, young Punisher is going to be in his face the whole time. No doubt, he's going to be trying to counter. No doubt, he's going to be trying to take out the lead leg. If the fight was to hit the ground, there's a significant advantage here for Pedro Munoz over Sean O'Reilly. So he's actually got a couple decent paths to victory, but. uh I got to agree with everything you're saying. The last couple of times I've watched him fight, it's just like he's he's like a deer in the headlight. He's just, there's such a speed discrepancy from the outside that he allows his opponent to lead the dance and just tries to counter. And it's not a good spot to be in. O'Malley's fast. And just like the Chris Moutinho fight, he doesn't have to knock you out. He just needs to continuously throw that volume, touch away at you. And the judges are going to like the looks of it, right? So I got O'Malley. I got O'Malley by decision plus 160 just because of that legendary durability from Pedro Munoz. Um, but that being said, like O'Malley is kind of one of these guys that you may be prone to classify as an apple pie shitter and like Pedro Munoz, a, a one in four run, as you mentioned, doesn't look good, but it looks a lot better when you consider that run is the, the current UFC champion, Aljamain Sterling, you know, the greatest of all time in Jose Aldo, former champion, Dominic Cruz, who he dropped by the way, a robbery against Frank Yeager. And he beat the crap out of Jimmy Rivera who barely wins bare knuckle boxing matches now. So, I mean, I don't know. It's been a long run for Pedro. I think he's a live underdog, but that plus 160 O'Malley by decision is just too much for me to look away from. Yeah, it, it, it all depends on whether Pedro can get that leg kick going. If he can, things are going to get iffy for uh, Sean O'Malley there. But if he can't, Sean O'Malley probably just cruises uh, pretty much. And it seems like you agree with that as well. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. We got a banger here between Robbie Lawler and uh, Brian Barbarena. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 120 for Lawler, plus one under the return on Brian Barbarena. Uh, interesting fight, close fight on paper. Uh, Brian Barbarena currently riding a two-fight winning streak. He defeated uh, Short Norris Darian Weeks, uh, where he was able to pretty much outwork him. He got outstruck in that fight, even got taken down four times, but was able to land the more devastating blows in that fight taking home the unanimous decision victory back in December of 2021. And then most recently 
in Matt Brown's backyard, uh, outstrikes him by 30 strikes there, uh, gives up five takedowns, but still nullifies the amount of control time that Matt Brown was able to get in that fight and just outworks him, wins that fight by split decision. Very close fight, uh, but still comes out on the on the winning end. On the flip side, for Robbie Lawler, rough stretch over his last, what is that, seven fights. He's two and five in that run, uh, but that also includes that... Uh, that first loss was to Tyron Woodley, where he lost the title back in July of 2016. Bounces back with that great win over Donald Cowboy Cerrone in a great back-and-forth fight where he was able to land the biggest shots there. Uh, but then that started a four-fight losing streak where he loses to Dos Anjos, if I'm not mistaken. That was in Winnipeg, of all places. Uh, then he loses to uh, Ben Askren. Ben Askren landed zero significant strikes in that fight, but still managed to get that bulldog choke and get him out of there. Uh, he almost killed Ben Askren that night, if you guys remember. Uh, Herb Dean wanted to see a dead body that night, it seemed like. Uh, but loses that fight. Then he gets just two tough matchups, man. Uh, Kobe Covington outstrikes him by 100 significant strikes while landing 10 takedowns in that fight. And then the Neil Magny fight, Neil Magny just outworks him back in August of 2020. If I'm not mistaken, that was a short notice spot for Robbie Lawler as well. Not something that we're used to seeing him take short notice fights, especially against a guy like Neil Magny, comes up short in that fight, loses that fight via decision. But then most recently back at UFC 266, picks up that big win over uh, Nick Diaz, where it seems like Nick just kind of gave up, right? Like it seemed like he just was like, you know what? My nose is bleeding. I'm good. I didn't sign up for this shit. I'm fine. Uh, now he's getting a solid opportunity here against Brian Barberina, a guy that's likely not going to outwork him in the grappling like Neil Magny and Colby Covington did. Not a guy that's probably going to starch him like Tyrone Woodley did. I, I, I lean the ruthless one here, man. I, I do think that Robbie Lawler stylistically should win this fight as long as he's not gun shy, as long as he doesn't you know, pull any of his punches. He should be able to get the better ones off here against Brian Barberina and really just touch him up here. You know, Brian Barberena boasts a 25% takedown accuracy rate. And Robbie Lawler, even though he got, you know, pretty bad matchups over his last couple fights, you know, he's given up three, 13, 17 takedowns in uh, four of his last five fights. He still boasts a 65% takedown defense, which is not that bad, especially considering the opposition he's gone up against. So I'm going to lean with Robbie Lawler here. I think he keeps it on the feet. I think he touches up Brian Barberena. Barberena, very tough, very durable, very difficult to put away. So I do think we see this go the full 15 minutes. Uh, over two and a half is currently minus 175. Fight goes to decision around minus 160. But Robbie Lawler to win by decision is plus 135. That's probably where I would put my money if you're forcing me to play a prop here. But the money line on Robbie Lawler already seems good enough at minus 120. I might have to have a little bit of action on that. What are you thinking here? Yeah, I'm thinking much of the same thing, man. I mean, Brian Barberena has had a whole lot of health issues. He had a bad back. He ballooned up in weight. He had to cut back down. Like, even though he's younger than Robbie Lawler, his body's gone quite through. It's gone through quite a bit. And looking at his recent performances, like, I know he's 3-1 and one over his last four, but all of them have been just not looking good. He got taken down 22 times in his last four fights. And when you consider the guys he fought, Anthony Ivey took him down five times. Jason Witt, who at least can wrestle, Took him down eight times. Darian Weeks, who is a pro boxer, took the fight on very short notice, took him down four times. And, of course, Matt Brown, who is very decrepit at this point and not known for his wrestling abilities, takes him down five times. His takedown defense is non-existent. Anybody who wants to take him down is likely going to have a good chance of doing so. And Robbie not known to go out there and offensively wrestle. 
But Robbie's a savvy enough veteran that he realizes that's the path to victory. He's been pretty vocal leading up uh, in fight week leading up to this fight that like, I know what this guy likes to do and that's brawl and have these crazy fights. And I'd be an idiot to do that. I know I've been in crazy brawls before. I've been in these fight of the nights, fight of the years, but that's not the game plan, right? That's something that happens because you're forced to go to those deep waters against Brian Barberena. The path of victory would be take him down. Now, the other thing is Brian Barberena was known for legendary cardio as well. But you're seeing in his last number, he's completely gassed. He was gassed bad in the Wit fight. He was gassed in the Darian Weeks fight. He was absolutely gassed in the Matt Brown fight. Robbie Lawler's kind of got that solid fundamental style where just like, he'll roll with the punches in order to catch a breath and come right back on you. Like in the Nick Diaz fight, you know, he's shelling up for the most part, but he's allowing his opponent to burn himself out because he's conserving his own energy before turning the tide. It would be much of the same here. I think go out there, wrestle Brian Barberena. If for whatever reason you're having difficulty getting him down, if for whatever reason you're starting to tire because taking him down is taxing your body, then it's just like wait for your opportunities standing. This guy throws a lot of flim flam, tons of volume, tons of volume. You need to sit down and counter and land the more meaningful blows. So I got Robbie Lawler prevailing in this fight. And of course, Robbie Lawler is an excellent price tag if you have any type of faith in him. Minus 120 over a guy like Brian Barberena seems pretty good. Although I will fully admit, I would rather him bank up the first two rounds and go into survival mode than get into one of these crazy slugfests because Brian Barberina, you know, thrives in one spot, and that's just like dirty, greasy brawls in the center of the cage where the fans are going nuts. Don't give that to him. And I think ruthless Robbie Lawler is smart enough at this stage in his career to, to fight the proper game plan. He's got a kid. He's married. He's got shit he wants to do with his personal life. Don't stand in front of him. Fight the proper game plan. If he does so, he could beat him standing. But, of course, don't – why do it for 15 minutes when you can do it for pockets and then mix in the takedown, seal the win. I like it. I like it. Uh, very excited to see what Robbie Lawler looks like, especially in a fight where he has a stylistically solid matchup for him, right? He doesn't have to worry about the wrestling or crazy wrestling coming back his way or anything like that. So should be a fun one should possibly even deliver on fight of the night honors as well. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. A big one here at middleweight, Probably gives us our next title challenger as well, considering Israel Adesanya has pretty much cleared the field, especially if he's able to get past Jared Cannonier uh, later on in this pay-per-view. But we got uh, Israel Adesanya's arch nemesis brought in strictly to hopefully fight Israel Adesanya one day. We got Alex Pereira coming in against a uh, veteran of the UFC, Sean Strickland, who's been on a pretty solid run of his own. Pretty much a pick em fight here. I am seeing a little bit of money coming in on Sean Strickland, making him a minus 115 favorite. But again, I'm seeing pickup lines pretty much throughout uh, the, the board here. Very interesting fight. Now, Sean Strickland over his last several fights has leaned on uh, a striking approach, right? He's getting in the hundreds pretty much more often than not. I believe he it was uh, October of 2018 when he had defeated Nordin Taleb by KO. After that fight, he had gotten some sort of uh, a motorcycle accident. He went out for a while. He's pretty much two years to the date that he had to sit out. But then since then, coming back, he's put together five straight wins. And he's gotten over 100 significant strikes in three out of those five fights. Uh, one of those he got a finish in where he got 94 strikes against Brendan Allen and he got 84 strikes against uh, Christoph Jodko, but still was able to soundly outstrike pretty much all of his opponents. That's what he leans on, man. And his striking style is very like, it's very sparring-esque. You know what I mean? Like he, he doesn't do uh, anything crazy. He sticks with his jab, 
sticks with his jab, rolls with a lot of the punches that his opponents throw back at him. That's kind of his defensive tactic in terms of just using his rage and his length to, to get out of the way of these big shots. Uh, and that's allowed him to, you know, have victory in more uh, in most of these fights. But now he's fighting a big guy in, in Alex Pereira, who's, you know, I, I don't know if that rolling out of uh, the way of these big shots is going to work for him here. We're talking about a 6'4 uh, uh, height here for Alex Pereira. That's a 3-inch height advantage on Sean Strickland uh, mixed in with a 3-inch reach advantage. But let's also give the power advantage to Alex Pereira because, good God, anytime this guy strikes and lands on his opponents, his opponents react very uh very badly and it definitely sways the judges we saw it in the bruno silva fight last time around where we did see the grappling of alex Pereira tested and i saw shades of like early ufc israel adesanya in terms of his ability to get back to his feet he does not settle on the ground at all even after he gets taken down he's always working to get to the cage and get back to his feet and then get back to the work with with his handiwork and that more often than not outweighs any type of grappling success his opponents have because when he lands he lands with a tremendous amount of impact and that definitely sways the judges and sean strickland might outstrike him in this spot but it might be the power strikes of alex Pereira that sway the judges more to uh his side like 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 i said strickland will likely get into the hundred uh range mark here especially if he doesn't get knocked out but it's going to come down to will the volume outweigh the damage that Pereira is inevitably going to land on him and i do think that's going to be the case i do think that we'll see Pereira Pereira's damage way more here but i don't think we're going to need the judges man i'm i'm a little bit skeptical about that that defensive style of Strickland here. I don't think it's going to work against a guy like Pereira. I think Pereira will be able to catch him on the chin. I think he's going to be able to put him down and put him out. I think it's just a matter of time before Sean Strickland starts shooting. But even looking back at some of his tape, man, not the most proficient grappler, or sorry, I should, should say, not the most proficient wrestler. I know he landed a couple of takedowns against Uriah Hall, but once he got him there, wasn't able to do much solid work right it was in the fourth round where he finally got like two minutes of control time on top of uriah hall but i think with the jitteriness and the squirminess of alex Pereira on the ground and the willingness to not settle on the ground will allow him to get back to his feet get back to his handiwork start to touch up sean strickland again and eventually find that knockout blow the price tag on Pereira by knockout is just not the sexiest to me though right it's plus 140 it's it could go the full 15 minutes as well i could see this being very competitive for sure but i do think at a certain point in time Pereira is going to find that chin of strickland and put him out here on the flip side for strickland strickland by sub plus 600 not a bad look considering he'll likely have the jiu-jitsu advantage but i just don't trust his ability to implement it effectively here against a guy in Pereira that's not going to settle for any position so i think we uh solidify one part of our potential next title fight here with Alex Pereira get, uh, punching his ticket to a title shot. Uh, and I think he gets it done via knockout. Uh, before I swing it on over to you, Cody, this is the uh, special prop parlay, or sorry, uh, special prop that Cloudbat has put together for this specific fight. So they have a, a, a strike spread. So like point spread for basketball. They actually have a, sp a strike spread for this fight. And it's set at uh, minus four and a half strikes for Alex Pereira meaning he needs to finish this fight with at least five or more significant strikes landed on Sean Strickland. I'm actually leaning the other way. I think it's Sean Strickland who's going to have more strikes landed here. So taking him at plus four and a half strikes at minus 110, I don't think it's going to be a, be a bad idea because even if Pereira wins, like I said, likely going to have lesser strikes. But even if he knocks him out, we'll still likely have lesser strikes than Sean Strickland. So if you guys do sign up to Cloudbat, like I said, link is in the description below. 
I'd, I'd hit that Strickland plus four and a half strikes. What are your thoughts on that prop? And then ultimately, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, thoughts on the props, which is, would you say Strickland inside the distance? No. So uh, you're, you're aware of how like uh, point spreads work, no? Yeah, yeah. Minus four and a half, plus four and a half. So this is minus four and a half significant strikes that uh, Alex Pereira will land. So he'll land at least five or more strikes if you bet on Alex Pereira, or you get plus four and a half if you pick the strong Strickland side. I'm picking the Strickland side because he's. I think he's easily going to land more strikes here. Yeah, maybe, but it's like you're saying as well. He might just go out there and get completely knocked out. Like, well, the thing with Sean Strickland is that he, since he's come back from his motorcycle injury, he's looked quite good, I suppose. But he's also been fighting, you know, fairly limited level of opposition. Like, Jack Marshman wasn't going to do anything to him. Brandon Allen is not a contender. Christoph Jocko is outside the top 15, not a contender. Raya Hall, we wrestled a little bit. You know, probably a fringe outside of the top 10 contender. And then Jack Hermanson. The interesting about the Jack Hermanson fight, which he won a split decision in, is that after three rounds, he was actually getting outstruck by Jack Hermanson. Is that he pulled it together in the fourth and fifth, sealed the deal. There's no fourth and fifth here. So he doesn't need a slow start. He needs to go out there and get at it right away. And I just think Pereira's a lot of man for him. You you mentioned it, right? He's six foot four with a 79 inch reach. If you look at everyone that, that Sean Strickland fights, Hermanson, six one, Hall, six foot, Jocko, six one, Brendan Allen, six two. Jack Marshman, six foot. Nordin Taleb, six one. Celeste Dos Santos, who knocked him out, five foot eleven. None, none of these guys are that big. None of these guys are these huge mountain of a men. So with Sean Strickland, it comes down to his ability to wrestle. Why would you want to stand in front of this guy? If you go out there and you wrestle, he'll have success. The guy knows how to wrestle. He did take Hall down four times. That would be the path here. The thing is, he's just he's such a dumbass. But you can't trust him to go out there and do that. No, you can't. Listen, yesterday he's giving interviews at Media Day, right? And he's like. Oh man, you know, uh, I, I can wrestle, you know, I, I, I might have to, if I have to, you know, I'm going to use my wrestling. So it's like, okay, so he's not that stupid. But then he goes on to refer to wrestling as taking the coward's way out, right? And then he proceeds to furthermore say, I can defeat any glory kickboxer in a kickboxing match. So, you know, if they want to do these crazy little fun little prop bets, it's like, what are the chances that this guy wins and says something anti-Semitic on the microphone afterwards? Probably 50-50. He's I'm not gonna dumb. lie. I was considering doing that. I was considering pitching that to Cloud as like some crazy shit being said on the mic. But yeah, continue. Sorry. <laughs> stupid human being. Okay, and I don't mean that in his regular life where he's very stupid, but in in the fight game as well. The smart path of victory would be to shoot the wrestling for sure. Neutralize this guy. Why would you want to stand in front of him? But he does have an ego. He does have that bravado. And I think part of that is listen. I'm an elite level striker. I strike with some of the best guys in the world. I don't mind standing in front of you and exchanging punches and kicks. But none of those guys hit the way that Pereira does. The other thing with uh, Sean Strickland is that he pretty much does all of his damage with the jab from the outside. I don't love jumping into like fight metric numbers like way too much because it doesn't really mean anything. But look at Sean Strickland versus Jack Hermanson his last time out. 81% of his strikes are targeted to the head. 15 to the body, 2 to the leg. 98% of which were thrown at distance. He's not fighting in the clinch, right? He's not throwing in the body. He's not chewing up the leg. He just jabs you from the outside. And yeah, that's worked against a couple lesser guys that couldn't really strike with him. Against Prairie, he's going to counter you. He's going to be landing the thudding leg kicks. He'll work the body. He'll land the hooks over the top. Uh, to say that Strong Strickland has a, a great chin, I don't know that he does, as much as he's fought a whole lot of guys that weren't really testing him. So Pereira's live in many ways. I think the fact that he's a big guy is going to help him stuff some of those takedowns, going to force him to keep the fight standing. And of course, I'm expecting Sean Strickland to just fight a bad game plan. So I know it probably sounded like I was harsh on the guy. He's an action man's top training partner. Like, you know, Sean Strickland came to Alberta to corner him the one time. 
he's you know i'm sure he's a good enough guy in his own way it's just to be honest with you i'm just i'm really sick of hearing this guy do interviews like i just don't care like he just has something stupid to say every time i would love prayer to just get this guy's wired shut his jaw wired shut by just cracking it and putting him away so that's what I'm hoping they uh, they do here. And if you're the UFC, if you seriously wanted to go Pereira versus Izzy next, which I think they do, you would book this in a three-rounder because a five-rounder is where things get greasy. Sean Strickland's fought his last two fights in five-rounders, and he got five rounds both times. In fact, he excel in those championship rounds. So for the Pereira fight, you want to put it in Pereira's best ability to win. Don't make it some fight night headliner. Don't make it a five-round you know, fight because it's a potential title challenger coming out of it. Keep it to three. Allow Prayer to go out when the first two. Sean Strickland for all the things that he does well. Finishing guys ain't one of them. Like he's he's not finishing anybody. He not he didn't even finish Jack Marshman despite talking all that shit and smacking him up in the head. He couldn't put him over right. So going out there and knocking out Pereira, like good luck, pal. Good luck. You'd probably have to fight this guy competitively for fifteen. And I'm thinking Pereira's going to win at least two of those three rounds. So. Sign me up for some Pereira. Uh, I think he could clip him and knock him out, but I'm thinking it's going to be a decision. Remember back in the day when Sean Strickland had that little man bun, like in his first couple fights, like he had, like who well, thought he, he would turn out to be this guy? Tarzan back in the, did he ever yeah. change his nick? Shit, he still is Tarzan. Yeah, no, I remember him back in the day. He was the king of the cage champion. It's like he yeah. just went out there and, and was smashing guys. He was awesome. The guy had, you know, good potential. Comes to the UFC, loses to Santiago Ponzinibbio, no problem. It's that motorcycle accident is what completely derailed him, right? Like, he shattered his body up. And like Frank Mir, he made a miraculous comeback and was able to come back to combat sports and be effective. But he was like uh, a lower mid-range guy before. Nobody ever actually spent the time to put a microphone in front of him. And, like, now, because he's headlining some shows and he's fighting five rounds and he's working himself into title contention, like, it's just so cringy every time, like, Everybody went to high school with a guy like this. He's just got no oh, yeah. filter. And you're probably friends with the guy with no filter, but he was also known amongst the group as a dumbass. <laughs> I think that was, that was what it was. Like that to me is Sean Strickland. I know many Sean Stricklands, right? all of which are dumbasses. So I need him to go out there and fight like a dumbass and give prayer the win. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's move on to our first title fight of the night. We got future featherweight goat. Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Max Holloway for the third time. This time around, we're getting minus 195 on Alexander Volkanovsky. On the flip side, we're getting plus 170 for Max Holloway. Now, just to give you guys some perspective, the first time they were scheduled to fight each other, which is when Max was the champion, we actually got Max Holloway at minus 190, plus 165, the return on Volkanovsky. I was happy to cash the plus 165 on Volk there. The second time at UFC 251, Volkanovski back up to minus 200, which is roughly where he's at for this fight. That was a much closer fight than the first one. And, uh, you know, I had some, I saw some people scoring that fight for Max Holloway. I watched it back myself. I do think that Volkanovski eked out that third round, which was the swing round, in my opinion. And then he won rounds four and five uh, pretty easily in my, in my books. The difference, though, from the 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 second fight from the first fight is that we actually got like big moments in the in the form of Max Holloway dropping uh, Volkanovski in the first and second round. I'm not sure if they actually recorded it as a knockdown. Let me just see here really quick. No, they didn't actually record them as knockdowns, but he visibly stumbled and wobbled uh, Volkanovski in the first and second round, which is why he won those rounds pretty unanimously on everybody's scorecards. But then it started to fall off, and Volkanovski really started to pick it up. The story of the first fight was the kicks of Volkanovski. 
He was really chewing up that lead leg of uh, Max Holloway. Holloway was forced to fight out of his secondary uh, stance, which usually is not the most effective for him. Uh, and we could clearly see why it wasn't effective because he just he was gun shy. And Volkanovski was just getting up on him on numbers uh, more often than not. Then in the second fight, looked a little bit more prepared for the leg kicks, but still he started to slow down later in that fight, allowing Volkanovski to outstrike him by, I believe it was a, a total of 35 strikes in the last three rounds of that fight, uh, allowing Volkanovski to you know regain the title in a very, very close fight. No matter how many times these guys fight, it's always going to be a close fight, right? It's going to come down to big moments like what Max Holly was able to produce in, in those first two rounds. But if he's not able to produce those, maybe the volume of Volkanovski, the movement and, you know, the leg kicks from the outside and the occasional crashing forward and landing his big strikes and then getting out before Holloway can hit him with anything. Those are going to be the more uh, impactful things on the, on the judges that will likely sway him, uh, sway the judges more, to more towards uh, Alexander Volkanovski. I am still going to end up on the Volkanovski side here. I just can't in good faith say that minus 200 is a great bet on him because Max Holloway is going to be there pretty much the entire time. I think the reason the line is where it is, obviously, is because Volkanovski is 2-0 against this guy already. But also, let's take into consideration the last two fights for both guys, right? Last time around, we saw uh, Alexander Volkanovski go out there and just absolutely demolish the Korean zombie and finish him, I believe, in the fourth round there, maybe in the fifth, if I'm not mistaken. And then on the flip side for Holloway, he dealt with some adversity with Yair Rodriguez. Rodriguez won that first round, and then he won the fifth round knowing he was down uh, and needed a finish. Uh, so, you know, Holloway did not look minus 600 at all in that fight. That was a closer fight, but he clearly won uh, the middle rounds in that, in that fight, hence why he got his hand raised that night. So, yes, he is deserving of this title shot. It's very difficult to give another guy a, a solid chance against Volkanovski. And Holloway will always be that number two guy, in my opinion. He is pretty much the uh, Joseph Benavides to Dominic Cruz in this situation uh, over and over again. No matter how many times they fight, I do think that Volkanovski will come out on top. But it will always be goddamn close. And I do expect this fight to go the distance like it always has. Fight goes to decision is currently sitting at minus 200. I like it. Um, uh, yeah, that would be my best bet in terms of best prop. I'd have to lean on Volkanovski by decision. That's at plus 105. I would rather play that than play Volkanovski minus 200. As you know, if these guys fought 100 times, I think at least 95% of the time they are 95 times they go to a decision, and I that's probably what I would lean on most here. Uh, so I'm going Volkanovski, Volkanovski by decision. What about yourself, Cody? Are you giving Holloway a little bit more shine here than I am? No, listen, I mean, the two fights that they've had are ultra-competitive. The last one especially could have gone either way. A lot of people complained they thought Holloway won the fight. So what you're going to get here is another close competitive fight. Probably goes 25 minutes. As you mentioned, if they fought 100 times, you think it would go 95% of the time to the disc, uh, to the scorecards. This is probably another one of those cases. It's close. It's competitive. Rounds will be swung either way. And so I got Volkanovski, but I will fully admit these value boys are onto something, right? When you get in these closed 25-minute fights where you're largely striking affairs, but it's very emotional and both guys are going to have their moments, you know, maybe a spam bet on the underdog is not the worst way to go. I didn't want to believe it because I thought Calvin Cater would have the superior uh, volume, be able to chip away at Josh Emmett, put up the better numbers, avoid those big shots, and win the fight. I thought he did enough to do so, but he didn't. The value side was clearly the way to go because everybody knew the fight was going to be close and competitive. It was big power versus big volume, right? They happen to side with big power. What can I do? Last week, it was the same thing with Sarukian versus Gamrot. Everybody knew the line was off. We were still picking yeah. Sarukian, but three to one for Matus Gamrot? 
Has anybody watched Matu's Gamrot fight before? The dude's 17 and one. The one loss, a debatable split decision against an absolutely monster of a man. Two time, a two division KSW champion, near flawless, Polish GSP, three to one underdog. So a lot of guys spam bet Gamrot and they were rewarded for that as well. This is very much of the same. You know, it's going to be close. You know, it's going to be competitive. And you know that there's probably some judges out there that, hey, Max probably deserved to win the last one. Max might be very competitive in this one. If you give the decision to Volkanovski, it's dead in the water. 3-0 Volk, these guys will never fight again. If you give the fight to Max Holloway, we've got a fourth fight on the way. Money's in the quadruple. <laughs> Whatever you would call it, I don't know. Quadrilogy. Trilogy, the quadrilogy. The money's in the quadrilogy, man, Preet. The only <laughs> other sport I've seen guys fight four times all the time was K1, right? All the yeah, time, yeah, yeah. they would fight four times. And it would be like, dude. Mark Hunt doesn't have a chance against Jerome LeBanner. I know this. Oh, shit. He just knocked him out, right? Like, like the fourth fight, usually good for the underdog. So, whatever. There's some story. Or the PFL. Or the PFL, right? Because they're just fucking fighting <sighs> each other all the time. We're going to get Magomed Karamov against fucking Cooper 17 by the time everything's wrapped up. Yeah, yeah. And then the thing with PFL, it's like Cooper. I, I bet Cooper to beat Magomed Karamov. Hit the underdog money. So elated. I fucking told you so and then he loses as a nine to one favorite yeah. over a bum his very you. next fight so well Leal's not a bum but you know what i'm saying like should he have yeah. lost that fight what the hell uh that's the fight game pfl is also real greasy so maybe you know watch out there this i don't expect it to be that it's just all the fights are very competitive i loaded up on volkanovsky the last fight against max holloway he loses the first two rounds the third round, very close, very competitive, could go either way. I thought the leg kicks added up for Volkanovski. He won in the third, and of course, he won the championship rounds. The key here, though, is Max Holloway has never been outvolumed by anybody. He owns a sports record, landing 445 against Calvin Cater, a volume guy. He beat Yair Rodriguez, landing 230. Yair Rodriguez, a volume guy. Nobody goes out there and, and, and lands more significant strikes in a fight than Max Holloway, of course. Except for the two times he fought Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky's got him figured out. The light kicks are an excellent way to cause him to move to his southpaw stance. Defensively, he's not a sound from the southpaw. He doesn't let that straight left go as much. Holloway's in it to win it. The guy's a scrapper. He's got that BJ Penn just scrap mentality from the island. Dude's going to be in it for a hard 25 minutes. But I feel like the, the progression from Alexander Volkanovsky into such a well-rounded fighter is there. Volkanovsky had moments in all of his fights where it's like, damn, Jose's coming on, but it's like he shuts it down. Brian Ortega, triangle choke, guillotine choke, puts him in all types of nasty spots. The more you bring, the better he comes out. It's like you can, there's levels, right? And the more you up your level, the more he matches you. Max Holloway fought an ungodly fight the last time in the rematch. And all it did was cause Alexander Volkanovsky to make championship level uh, adjustments mid-fight and come back and win the fourth and fifth round, which are rounds he needed to do the job, right? I think he's continuously getting better with Max Holloway. There's issues about the weight cut. There's issue about where his head's at. There's issues about the motivation. I'm sure he's ultra motivated for this fight. But he took a lot of unnecessary damage against Yair Rodriguez his last time out. That's not the kind of championship quality I need to see from him at this stage. And I feel like Volkanovski chips away. Volkanovski's money line does not look good. Fortunately for you, you've seen them fight twice. Both times he was able to win decisions. I think this one's much of the same. So I'd be looking to improve that by going Alexander Volkanovski by decision. But of course, if you are a value boy, undeniable Max Holloway by decision. And if you are a greasy value boy, split decision. Split decision. You're seeing yeah. splits in all these main events recently. Nobody can agree on it, right? So the price is egregious, but it's like that. There's huge plus money there. I like it. And one last thing on this matchup: Max Holloway holds the record for most significant strikes landed by a mile. 
Yeah. He has a thousand more significant strikes landed than number two, who is Frankie Edgar at uh, just under 1,800. Max Holloway all the way up at 2,800. Crazy stat there. Jim Miller has like 20 fights more than him or whatever it is, like 15 (laughs) fights more than him. And he's like thousands of strikes back. So Holloway is a special talent. But you know what? I remember Brett Favre's female boy right back in the day. Before the dick pics, you know, I don't know what the (laughs) hell was going on with that. Right. But like Brett Favre was my boy. And I remember I was like, oh man, Brett Favre is the, uh, he was the touchdown leader. He had most touchdown passes. And I remember someone was like, he's also the interception leader as well. I was like, what the fuck do you mean? It's like, well, yeah, he's thrown the most touchdowns. And as a result, he's also thrown the most interceptions. So when you look at Tom Brady now, it's like much of the same. Brady's been around so long. He owns all these touchdown records. But as a result, he like also owns these interception records. You stay around long enough, you're going to fuck up a little bit along the way. Max has these striking numbers, but do you want to see how many strikes he's absorbing per fight? Because he's way up there as well. Most guys aren't absorbing 4.7 strikes per minute and are considered world class, right? But that's that's where he's at. So at some point or another, guy's only 30 years old. I'm sure he's fresh, but you know, you're an OG fight fan, so you remember he's had a little bit of trial of tribulations. Yeah. He pulled out of a fight with Max Holloway like two days out of the fight with a bad weight cut in a fight to 55, right? Mm -hmm. He failed medical exams saying, you know, well, we want to have another MRI and just make sure everything's cleared here. His speech, although he's got a lot of Hawaiian slang, so like I'm not faulting him for that, does noticeably seem a little bit different. So I hope he's okay. But being a warrior, being a world-class guy, it it has its ups. It also certainly has its downs. And I just feel like Volkanovsky is in the spot in his career to, you know, put him away. Maybe not put him away by the finish you know, uh, definition of put him away, but put him away, like close a chapter of this book and send this guy back. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how, like, obviously Jim Miller has way more fights than Max Holloway, but in terms of actual fight time, Max Holloway has four more minutes of fight time than, uh, than Jim Miller, but we know Jim Miller, you know, a lot of one round, baby. Fights. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, That's all he needs half. pretty much. <laughs> exactly. Max yeah. Holloway likes to get extended, likes to go the full 25 if he can, but, uh, yeah, very interesting stat there. All right. That brings us to our main event where we got the middleweight title on the line. Shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have. Drop that like. Hit that subscribe. Show the all-star that you guys love us on on their channel here. And also drop some comments. We're trying to get back to you guys on the comments as well in terms of what your favorite props are for the upcoming uh, UFC cards. Obviously, another big shout out to BetOnline.ag, one of the best sports books out there for MMA and not just the UFC, but for regional MMA and usually the first guys on the block with the odds. So if you want to get in on some of those early lines, BetOnline is the place to do it. Link is in the description below. And then before we get out of here, before we get to our three best props, we're going to give another big shout out to CloudBet uh, as well, who's put together a lot of great props for the Propping You Up show. We'll touch on those very shortly, but let's get the main event out of the way first. We are going to start off with uh, uh, Israel Adesanya coming in at minus 500 now, plus 375 the return on Jared Cannonier. Uh I, I want to try to make a solid case here for Jared Cannonier, but I feel stylistically this is the perfect fight for Adesanya to just go out there and do what Adesanya does. Cannonier, in my opinion, needs a, a knockout to, to win this fight. Otherwise, he's likely going to get touched up by Adesanya. And, you know, although Kananir, not that bad of a striker, still, uh, you know, it, he's going to come up short on a lot of his shots here. We see the guys that give Adesanya trouble are the guys that are roughly his size. 
Jan Blahovic, who don't have to, you know, play on the outside without a signing. They can just get in and they, they don't have too far to, to cl- or they don't have much distance to close to get to Adesanya compared to when Adesanya is fighting at 185 pounds and he has this tremendous height and reach advantage over his opponents. Uh, height advantage is obviously going to be here for him against, uh, against Jared Cannonier, I believe it's a three inch height advantage, actually, actually about a five inch height advantage that Adesanya is going to have here. Uh, and he'll obviously have a three inch reach advantage as well. Again, I'm interested to see how Adesanya approaches this. Does he look for the calf kick like he did against Paulo Costa or does he just stay content with just outstriking his opponents from the outside using that lengthy one, two and that high kick that he likes to use. And then on the Cannonier side, you know, he's not a proactive grappler by any means, right? He likes to go out there and put his leather on his opponent's faces. And if he's not able to do it successfully enough here against Adesanya, I just don't see where he wins this fight. You know, I'm usually against parlaying minus 500 favorites, but goddamn, like this seems like a, like how does Israel Adesanya shit the bed here? Does he get knocked out? That would be uh, very difficult to see. Does he get out grappled? That's very difficult to see as well. Like it wasn't that long ago. Like I was at the apex watching Jared Cannonier go, you know, round and round with uh, Calvin Gastelum. Not a good look for him. So I, I really think the only reason Jared Cannonier is getting this title shot is one, he's coming off a win over the next guy who was Derek Brunson, who was on a bit of a streak. And the fact that he's already cleared out the, the, the division. He's already fought Robert Whitaker twice. He's beat Paulo Costa. You know, he beat Marvin Vittori. Jared Cannonier is really the only one left outside of Sean Stricken and Alex Pereira, who will likely be the next title Chandler, challenger after this weekend. So I'm going to lean on Asanya, and I just think he paints a beautiful picture here. I don't know if he knocks out Cannonier. Obviously, we saw Derek Brunson land a big shot on Cannonier, drop him early in that first round, wasn't able to close the show there. But I think that was the Adesanya kind of just pick him apart here and go on to win a decision. I'm going to say plus 125, plus 110 for Adesanya to win by decision. Sign me up for that. Uh, if you can get KO slash decision, that's not a bad look either. But I think that's pretty chalky at this point in time. But I do think that is the best way for to play Adesanya. I'd be surprised if he submits Cannonier or if he even looks to go that route in this fight. But yeah, I, I got Izzy. I think he cruises in this fight. I don't see what Cannonier does that will disrupt him. What about you? How are you seeing this one? Yeah, I got much of the same. I think uh, Jared Cannonier is a prototypical fighter that likes to come forward, likes to try to engage, likes to try to land those big shots. But you need so much more to beat Israel Adesanya. Like, I- I- I'll-, I'll-, I'll admit, I was one of these idiots that thought that maybe Paulo Costa's got a chance because he's so damn big, he's so damn strong, he's reckless, and he's willing to take a punch. But when you see the levels of one guy is a brawler who's flat-footed trying to line you up with one big shot and one guy's out there surgically picking you apart, like, everything he does is super methodical at range he's just able to dictate all the action of course marvin vittori's muscle bound he's a little slower right robert whitaker is a fine striker in his own right but none of these guys have really been able to bridge that gap and get towards him does it seem like he's playing with his food a little bit at times yes certainly does but i think in many ways john jones did the same thing you know he's so long and rangy that it's like you've got to really do a lot to close the distance on him that he doesn't really do anything more than he needs to he could finish you he could okay just pick you apart he could be okay with picking you apart for 25 minutes from the outside on route to a decision victory. So with Jared Cannonier, it's like, well, what has he got? Well, he's got the big power and he's willing to take a punch to give a punch. And if he can close out the pocket, maybe he goes and he lands something. Maybe. Here's my issue. Jared Cannonier's last eight fights have featured a knockdown and not necessarily always him. He got dropped hard by Jan Blockwitz. He got knocked out by Dominic Reyes. He got dropped by Robert Whitaker and, and, not, and uh, held on. He got knocked. He got dropped last time out by Derek Brunson. 
the guys in these these drag him out tough type fights where no doubt he can put hands on you, but at the same time, like sometimes he's a bit of a defensive liability. That's how I see this one going. Go look back and watch Dominic Reyes versus Jerry Cannonier, okay, which is at 205 pounds, I will admit. He's got absolutely no ability to bridge the gap on a southpaw striker who's throwing body kicks from the outside. He can't. And Israel Adesanya is an excellent switch stance striker who will be able to kick from both stances. Jerry Canyon just allows his body to get mauled up. Eventually, he gets desperate. He tries to bridge the gap and throw with hands. But, I mean, he's there to get intercepted. He's not exactly the most durable guy going. And if he tries to make a fight, he's going to get hit. The Kelvin Gastelum fight, he got outstruck 89-81 to by Kelvin Gastelum who I understand put up a hell of a great fight against Israel Adesanya once upon a time. But that was a long time ago. Izzy's advanced a lot since then. He looks a lot cleaner since then. Whereas Jerry Cannonier is there for those those type of fights. Here's the other issue. He, in five rounds versus uh, Gaslam, he landed 81. The other fights where he's gone the distance, say him versus Robert Whitaker, he landed 53 over, 15, or over uh, three rounds. It's not enough. I get he's knocking out people in some other fights or he's getting knocked out in some other fights, but his volume's low. To fight five rounds over the Izzy Adesanya, you're going to have to put over well over, over 100. So at first I'm thinking lines wide, but I want to improve it. Israel Adesanya, he's been playing with his food his last two fights. It looks like he's falling into a more of a decision guy type role. But the more you watch the tape on it, at some point, probably maybe third round, maybe fourth round, he's going to clip Jared Cannonier and put him away. So I got Israel Adesanya inside the distance. I like it. And I love how you almost, you like almost keep slipping up on Jared Gannier's name, but that's what he's going to need. He's going to need to become Karen Janineer to win this fight, in my opinion. Like, I really think that's what's going to, what it's going to take for him to overcome this mountain. Yeah. I mean, the guy used to fight at heavyweight once upon a time, right? So it's like he's a big, strong, physical guy, but there's no denying that he's now, what, 30, is he 37, 38 years old? I believe he's 37. He's 38 years old. Sorry. Yeah. He's, he's just turned 38 a couple months ago. I'm not saying that he's necessarily slowing down is that he realizes when you have that much muscle and your chest that big like you can't be going out there and throwing you know big combinations you're waiting on that big punch you're waiting on that one singular strike of course he's got enough power to knock out Israel Adesanya but the thing is is that every it's MMA anybody can knock out anybody being smart being defensively sound being you know good good quick-footed good footwork uh, a great understanding of that range. That's what makes you effective. And that's what Israel Adesanya is able to do. I will admit, if you push the pace on him, you come forward. That's what's going to open up his strikes. And I need Kanier to do that. I need Kanier to try to boss him around. I need Kanier to try to make something happen. But eventually, a rhythm is going to be set here by Adesanya. He's going to cook him with the lead uh, kick to the body. That's going to drop his hands. And eventually, it's going to be a kick that's going to square up upstairs. Or the straight left's going to land on the money and, and, and wobble him. Once Kenyonier gets wobbled, guys have had excellent success pouncing on him. And I think that that's what uh, Adesani is going to be able to do. So it's a good card. I, I think I'm um, five to one. I really don't like the money line, but it's probably going to be a top ticket kind of play. And then you've got all the reason in the world to hedge out. You've got so much plus money available on Jared Kenyonier, or you can put your big boy pants on and, and just let it ride and feel good about the fact that you've got a legitimately good, you know, m- maybe one of the better 185 pounders to ever walk the planet. And I think uh, he's motivated to keep the legacy going and set up these big fights against other guys down the road. Cannonier is just quite simply, you know, a roadblock on the way to greatness. He realizes that, go out there, get the job done, preferably by TKO. Because when I say inside the distance, he ain't subbing him, right? So, so I mean, when I say inside the distance, I mean by knockout. If you were going to bet the inside play, you might as well just take that Israel Adesanya by knockout. Like Cody said, top ticket material is Israel Adesanya minus 500 because... 
if you're riding high and, and you get to the main event there, solid head spots, uh, not just on the money line for Cannoneer, uh, which obviously would be around plus 375 right now, but even his KO prop, which hangs around plus 600 at certain spots, as I believe that's likely his best way to win this fight. He's not winning minutes. He's not winning rounds. He's not grappling Adesanya here. He needs that big shot. Otherwise, he doesn't win. One thing I could think of is if if the Yoel Romero fight played out again, where it's like they just stared oh, at each God, other. Because it's, ter- it's a terrible fight, and it's, and it's honestly a terrible fight that, like, could have been scored for Yoel Romero. It could have been, right? So on that hand, it's like, man, is this guy trustworthy? Five to one. Is he not just going to go and stare at him? Like he's done it before, but he shit on Rose Namajunas a few months, like last month being like, <laughs> terrible fight. I would never do that. Yo dog, you would do that. I seen you, you do it before, but <laughs> yeah. I, I'm hoping that's causing him to be like, yo, the way to get the big money and the big paydays is talk shit, but back it up as well. So like, I need to go and knock out 38 year old Jared Cannon here and make a statement. Back-to-back decision wins, the cool, their wins, go and get a finish. I think he's going to go and do that. I like it. All right. Let us move on to the uh, cloud bet special props, then we'll get to our three best prop bets to uh, finish off this show. Let me just pull it up here. Whoop. Whoop. Why is it not? Hold on. Give me one sec. There we go. All right, special props, courtesy of CloudBet. Again, link is in the description below in case you guys want to bet on some of these. First is the Hype Train wins. We got three Hype Trains on the card here. We got Sean O'Malley. We got Ian Gary and Alex Pereira as a Hype Train of his own. If you want two of them to win, it's plus 114. One of them, plus 250. Three of them, plus 320. And if you don't think any of them win, you get in plus 1,600. We are also getting a Team America parlay. I did not come up with this one. Shout out to the Cloudback crew for coming up with this one. But uh, Team America is pretty much Jared Cannonier, Max Holloway, Sean Strickland, and Sean O'Malley. If all four win, you can cash up plus 2,900. If all four don't win, plus 10,000. Maybe it's a parlay piece for you guys. Who the fuck knows? Uh, That's so. crazy, dude. You get that Team America parlay. The first guy's from Alaska. The second guy's from Hawaii. We're really stretching all the, the all the states here. The one guy, if it was the 1800s, would have been fighting to split up America. <laughs> and O'Malley's just a stoner. He would have, I don't know what his story is. But, uh, but uh, all right, I, I'm in. I'm in on that. I like, I like where their, uh, you know, their imagination is. Uh, they also have a Team America Strikes uh, prop here. So significant, total significant strikes from all four of those guys that I just named, Kananir, Holloway, Strickland, O'Malley. They have it set at 375.5 significant strikes. So I think a large part of that is Max Holloway. They think he's probably going to get like 200 significant strikes there. Let's see if the rest of the field can make up the 175. But if you have a solid uh, read on that, you can choose over or under there. Now I'm going to ask you, Cody, a couple of the ones here. Fastest finish on the main card. Who are you leading with? Fastest finish on the main card. I have got to go with. Jeez, man, these guys are all cast iron durable. <laughs> yeah, know, like right? what if they all go to decision? Is, do you have a void bet or do you lose? Uh, I'm not. I think I gotta go Izzy. I I gotta go Izzy simply because I think O'Malley's gonna be teeing off on Pedro all night. I could yeah. see Robbie and Barbarina going to decision. Max and Volkanovski is going to decision. Prayer versus Strickland very likely goes to decision. So by de facto, it says fastest finish, but if it happens at 22 minutes into the fight, it's still the fastest <laughs> one. It's the only one. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess give me Izzy at plus 600. 
I, I'd go with Pereira at plus 650 again. I don't think these are going to be like first round finishes or anything like that. But out of all those fights, I think the only one that we really see a finish out of, like, again, I'm leaning Adesanya by decision, but I could definitely see a finish there. But I think Pereira is probably the most likely to get a finish out of that entire main card. And at plus 650, I wouldn't mind that. I liked I liked the under and the 375.5 significant strikes for Team America simply because Hall, let's give Holloway 100, right? And let's give yeah. Strickland 100. And let's give O'Malley 100. Cannoneer ain't getting no 75, right? So, sure. like, he's the outlier. And that's still giving the other guys all 100, whereas, yeah. like, O'Malley could, I don't know, he could land way more. Strickland could land way more. Holloway could land way more. And then they just make up the difference for Jared. But that still seems uh, high enough for just these strike, straight-up striking battles. And then uh, fight of the night. Hey, let's see what yeah, we like here. Sorry, I do have another page of a couple more props. But yeah, fight of the night. Where are you? What are you? What are you leaning on here? I would go with Holloway versus Volkanovski. You've seen how good and competitive it was the last couple times. It's high drama, it's high emotion, co-main event. I think that Holloway is going to bring his absolute best. I think Volkanovski is going to match him. It's what's beautiful about mixed martial arts is they're capable of doing everything. They can wrestle. First time Volkanovski never takes him down. Second time, three takedowns, right? You see that this is mixed martial arts and there are you know different avenues to getting the victory. I think it's going to just embody everything. It'll be close. It'll be competitive. It'll be 25 minutes. It'll be high emotion. It's got everything uh, written for a, for a fight of the night. Yeah, I'd split between Holloway Volkanovski as well as Barbarina Lawler. I think that could be a fucking scrap and a half, especially if both Turner Riddell is also plus 1700 Turner Riddell. Like, shit. Value there. If you want to talk about value, boys, that's probably a value right there, honestly. Yeah, because if Turner absolutely wipes this guy's ass for the first five minutes and in the second round it's some big heroic comeback, mmm, fight of the night written all over it. 1700, like, goddamn. I like it. All right, last page here for the props. Uh, total submissions. We'll, we'll try it again. You you want to be Mystic Cody once again? Okay. Total submissions total is over sub- under two and a half. Okay, it's over under two and a half. So nothing from the main event, nothing from the co-main. I don't think Strickland's going to catch him, and Robbie's not looking for it. O'Malley could get sub, but I just don't see it going that way. Not Riddell. Although, again, like Turner could slap Maybe one Turner. on. I just don't see it happening. Jim Miller, I think, is going to keep punching. Ian Gary is going to hold on for a decision. Drake is going to melt him with the left hand. Hall is going to soar through the goddamn air like a beautiful, majestic eagle and KO him with a flying knee. Barbara's going to grind her. Julia I'm might snag I'm up an under. I'm going with the under. Yeah. The, 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 the common thought is Julia with the arm bar and Andre Muniz yeah. with whatever the hell he wants. That gives you two. And then your options here would be Jim Miller could snag one up. Jalen Turner could snag one up. Pedro could snag one up. Sean Strickland could snag one up. I would say the under. I would say the under on the two and a half. I'm going to go under two and a half with Yulia and Turner probably getting the subs there. Uh, over under KOs, four and a half. I'm three thinking. Three and a half last week. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got one out of the main event. I'm hoping Pereira knocks him out. would give you two. Brad would either wear down Turner or Turner's going to catch him early. You might be able to get a not fight doesn't go the distance in that one, which would give you three. Miller could catch Cerrone. It could happen the other way around. That would give you your fourth. Drykus would be good for five. Hall would be good for six. On a personal level, I'm I'm leaning towards the over. I'll take the over four and a half. I'd rather if it was four and I could get a push if it was only four. But the four and a half, that's how the bookie makes their money. I get it. So uh, I'd roll with the under two and a half on the submissions and the over four and a half for knockouts. I'm going to go under for both of them. I don't think we'll get that many knockouts. This, probably three, max four. But we'll see how that plays out. Total takedowns. What are you thinking here? 26 and a half. I'm leaning with the under. Honestly, I've already looked through this myself. I'm leaning with the under 26 and a half. I think more often than not, the unders for the t- takedowns have hit, but they are starting to drop them with every single card pretty much. 
but I still think it's going to be under 26 and a half. What about yourself? I'm going to guess it's going to be like who's the take? Who's the takedown artist? Was it 22 and a half? 23 and a half. I'm almost I, honestly, my quick math is 24. Oh, sorry, sorry, 26 and a half. Sorry, under 26 okay. I take the under on that. Listen, Jesse Just Rose Clark could get easy money takedowns if she wanted, but no more than three. Barber mm-hmm. might be able to squeeze up two, that gives you five. Mooney's only needs one, maybe he gets two, win or lose, that gives you seven. Drykus and Brad, maybe you get one out of there, that's eight. Ian Gary could get you three, puts you over, you know, probably to 11, maybe that 12 range. Miller could get one, that's 13. Brad Riddell could as many as four. Let's be generous. Let's say it's 15. O'Malley versus Pedro, probably not going to get much out of there. Robbie could slam up four or five in this fight. That puts you down to 19, 20 takedowns. Sean Strickland might get two, 21. Volk might get two. You know, brings you to 23. Nothing in your main event. You're still shy of your 26 and a half. And that was being generous in some of the spots. So under 26 and a half takedowns. I like it. I like it. And then lastly, fastest finish on the entire card. What are you leaning here? Fastest finish on the entire card. I got to go with Strikers Duplessis. There you go. Duplessis is currently sitting at plus seventeen hundred to get the fastest finish on the card. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have a a, a hipster pick here. I'm gonna go with Yulia Stoliarenko at plus twenty nine hundred. That is totally hipster, but I like it <laughs> because because I I'm, I'd be lying if I said it didn't cross my mind. I was just like, women's MMA has been killing me lately. <laughs> I, think, I think I'd rather go with somebody. Drykus, he's got just such a he's got so much power in his hands, yeah. right? Brad likes to strike. Has been clipped before. I'm hoping that's the hey, way we go. Jessica Rose could just dive head first into a takedown and then eventually just get submitted like in a minute. It could absolutely happen. Which is Jim, Jim Miller at plus 1600 is live too. Simply not bad. Just because yeah. Cerrone is not really one to take a whole uh-huh. lot of damage early and Jim's a quick starter. So what well, we noticed last week, <laughs> last week, you know who ended up being the quickest finish on the whole card, my friend? Please, please remind me really quick. Uh, fuck. Uh, Cody Durden, Cody right? Durden, now, yes, now yes, why yes. was Cody Durden the guy? Well, because JP Vise couldn't take a punch. So now I'm thinking, who's got the worst chin on the whole cart? Well, I suppose it would probably be Donald Cerrone. Yeah. So uh, I w- maybe have a little look at Jim Miller plus 1600. I love it. I love it. All right, let's get to our three best prop bets, then we'll get out of here. I'll kick it off as always. Like I just said, I want Stoliarenko via sub plus 350. I really like that spot here. I do expect Jessica Rose Clark to get this into the grappling at a certain point, and I think she's going to end up paying for it. I think Stoliarenko finds that submission. Gets the ninth armbar victory in her 10 career wins as another arm tour mantle over there in Lithuania. Secondly, I'm going to go Volkanovski by decision, plus 105. Not too many props I'm liking on this entire card, but this is definitely one of them I feel comfortable with. Again, I like the fight goes to decision at minus 200 more than I do like Volkanovski money line, but in terms of a specific prop, Volkanovski by decision seems to be the way to go. Um, and then lastly, I got to go Adesanya decision plus 125. Uh, Kananir can be clipped. He can be hurt. You know, uh, Cody has definitely scared me a little bit in terms of uh, thinking that Adesanya will get a late finish here. It's absolutely live. 
but I think that we'll see him just pick him apart from distance. I think we'll see a solid enough durability from Cannonier to make it the full 25 minutes. I will say this before I pass it on to Cody. There is one on there that I wanted to make my own, but again, since it's just two of us, I want to give you guys more variety of uh, props here, and I'll definitely let you guys know as soon as he says it. So I'll I think I know which one it is, and when I send it to you, I was like, is he going to think this is crazy? But then we nope. talked, and we're on the same page. So O'Malley by decision, plus 160. Again, he's got such a good uh, style to you know, Matador, a guy like Pedro Munoz, who's very flat-footed at times, you know, a little bit slow, a little bit, a little bit plodding and just be rangy and long. And if you can do that, you can definitely snipe him from the outside. Don't get your leg chopped off. Don't fall to the ground with him. He's very durable. Mind your P's and Q's, but the speed advantage is going to be astronomical for O'Malley. I think he's going to chew him up for the tune of plus 160 by decision. Moving over, we got a plus 200 Ian Gary by decision. This one's not exactly sexy in the sense that Gary has not looked good in either of his two fights so far. And the thing with Gabe Green is like he's a perennial underdog, a guy that's just got that ability to keep fighting, you know, persevere, go into some bad spots, do whatever needs to be done to secure the victory. So one guy's a guy that's made a lot of people money and a guy in Ian Gary that undefeated but looks wonky at times. I truly do believe that the judo black belt is going to allow him to get this fight to the ground whenever he wants to. I think that his style of, uh, you know, trying to be like a Conor McGregor, but be a it's all about balance and flow and trying to intercept your opponent as they come forward. Not some technical boxing match, not some technical kickboxing match, but what Gabe Green does, which is come forward and brawl, that should allow Gary to do his best work. And then I do think that, unfortunately, Gabe Green is durable enough that he will lose, but lose by decision, plus 200. And this is the one I think we're on the same page on. This, it could happen. This, this one coming theory. up is the one that I wanted to pick as well. But we got to give you variety. So, Cody, <laughs> give you that I'll let variety. you have the glory if it hits. We're going with Uriah Hall by knockout, plus 400. It's obviously a good price tag. Uriah Hall not necessarily looked on the greatest run so far. But, I mean, he's very durable in a submission defense. A guy that has 27 professional MMA fights, never been submitted. Been in there with some pretty top guys. Fought a light heavyweight in Antonio Carlos Jr. Had the guy in his back for seven to ten minutes. You know, survived all those spots. It's all about surviving in those early moments. Of course, you're taking on a great grappler here in Andre Muniz. He can snatch up an armbar. He can snatch up something. It's all about testing him in those first five minutes. His cardio will fall off. His wrestling will fail him. And he does not have any striking to rely on. At some point, too, maybe we get taken down. Maybe we lose the first round. Maybe the second round's not going our way. If Hulk can continuously make him work, He'll get sloppy. He might walk into a flying knee. He might get caught with the flying hook kick. It might quite simply just be a straight left hand down the pipe. Something at some point will knock him out. He's had four career losses. All four of them are by knockout, three of which in the first round, one of them a minute into the second round. He's there to get clipped. No one's done it yet because he's been fighting the Eric Anderses of the world. But uh, Primetime Hall's got a little bit of magic left in the tank, and I think he's going to put it on display for us on Saturday. And if he does, you know, plus 400, my boy, getting the job done, hopefully. So uh, that's where we're at. I love it. I love it. I hope we can catch that plus 400 as well as that plus 350. I'll stroll your ankle by sub because I feel pretty goddamn convicted about it. Cody, uh, I'll tee it up to you one last time to get us out of here. Anything you want to say to the fans before we sign off? No, man. Uh, just, yeah, big Saturday coming up. Uh, the Dogger Pass Racing horse is actually qualifying on Saturday. Hey. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in the box ready to go. 11.50 a.m. Uh, they'll have the qualifiers. will be on, like, a live free YouTube stream. So, I'll probably tweet that out. And then, uh, yeah, man, the gang's been super patient. We've been having a lot of fun with it. So, we're hoping he qualifies well. And then beyond that, there's, like, three stages. There's uh, gold horses, grassroots horses, and prospect horses. The gold horses race for $156,000, right? So, He's looking like he could be a gold horse, but of course it's a long ways away. Fingers crossed um, in horse racing as in MMA. It don't take much for shit to go sideways on you. Right. So just staying optimistic. The MMA show went well, all the support that I've been getting from the, from uh, 
from the community and you know guys such as yourself just been awesome and yeah man i'm just cool to talk props on a big ufc pay-per-view for a change so it's also low-key for our non-canadian fans it's uh it's Canada Day this weekend. Hey. It's a long weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So PFL on tomorrow. I think I'm going to try to release a preview for that. Uh, Canada Day long weekend. Looks like the weather's going to be nice. And, of course, the last little cherry on top. Oh, yeah, the DOP horse, DA Jiminy Cricket, hopefully qualifying like a goddamn savage. And then see some legitimately good UFC fights on the Saturday night that we can go out there and cash. So a lot of fan favorites on this card. Even, you know, guys that are just would consider themselves casual fans. Oh, I don't know. I miss the good old days, man. I miss those yeah. big cards. It's like, dude, do you know Donald Cerrone, Jim Miller? I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not brain dead. It's like, yeah, that's a prelim, man. This is a good card, right? So I think people will tune in and have themselves a fun time. But of course, if we can help anybody with props or straight picks or opinions, or maybe, you know, we were against them on something and it's caused them to look at it in a second light, or we're on the same page and you feel that much more confident about it. Thanks for using our show as a research tool. And uh, let's hopefully go out there and hammer it out Saturday night. I knew there was a reason I was compelled to wear the white and red today, and it's obviously because Canada Day is tomorrow, so maybe that's why. But, uh, yes, happy Canada Day to all the fellow Canadians out there. I believe uh, July 4th is just around the weekend as well, too, so happy Independence Day to the the U.S. folks as well. Uh, but, yeah, love breaking it down as always. And uh, good luck to everybody on the props this weekend. We'll be back next week to break down the battle of the Raphaels as RDA and Physio finally throw down uh, next weekend at the Apex. And we'll have all the props ready for you guys. Good luck on your props this weekend. And we'll see you guys next Thursday. As always, peace out.